Hey, this is your Aunties Could Never, a podcast where you get to hear from your favourite aunties who have all the real talk with our thoughts on what's going on in the world. We'll be reminiscing about what it was like back in our day, and most importantly, we'll be helping you sort out your daily dilemmas with advice only your coolest auntie will give. I'm Auntie AK, and I'm here with... Auntie Farah. Auntie Nana. And Auntie Shade. So today's a very... Apart from the fact this is the second time we've gone live, this is the first time we're supposed to have a special guest, Uncle Swiss. Those of you who may know him, um, better known from being in So Solid, phenomenal British, were they rap, grime group? Grime. Um, no, no, it would be no. garage. Yeah. They had a bit garage. of English, to be fair. Yeah. Not grime. Yeah. Yeah. Garage, garage, isn't it? Yeah. Garage. Yeah. Yeah. A bit yeah. of hip hop in there, they rapped. Yeah, and, but also now he's come back with this new initiative called Black Pound Day which is launching on the 27th, where he's encouraging us all to buy black and be more blackity black than we can ever be. So he's supposed to be joining us very soon to get into the mix so we can find out what he's going on with. But in the meantime, whilst we wait for Uncle Swiss, we will get on with what have we heard in the news today. So come on, ladies, tell me what you've heard. So yesterday was Windrush Day. It was the second one and everyone took time out to appreciate all the culture that had been brought here by the Windrush generation. One of the things that I wanted to highlight and to discuss was the fact that um, when the scandal broke out and following the fallout of the scandal, the government announced that there would be a compensation scheme, which they expected to reach hundreds of millions. So, so far, out of that, only 60 people have been compensated. And also, the total between them is only 360,000. In addition to that, none of the legislation has been changed, which, you know, led to this fallout in the first place. What do we all think? How do we hold these people accountable to really push forward with what they're pledging? Because there's lots of businesses, aside from this long overdue compensation, that are pledging all these things. And people do petitions, we sign them. I was thinking today about signing, I've signed a Windrush petition, maybe quite a few. Legislation happens one or two people get the money and then it quietly, quietly disappears because is it because humans take their eye off the ball or there's nobody to hold them accountable? Um, I think it's disgusting. And what, in regards to the compensation, what are they getting? Part of the problem was that they're saying is the fact that people had to fill in their own forms in order to oh, claim yeah. the compensation. So obviously not everybody is able to fill in the forms. You know, much like when you fill in forms for anything, sometimes they're overly complicated. And yeah. if you miss one bit, you've got to resend it and you've got to resend it again and you've got to provide certain documentation and this, that and the other. And I feel like that's probably part of the reason why not everyone has received the compensation that they should have. In my opinion, I feel like they should have made the process a little bit easier. Why do you need to fill in a form? Or if you do need to fill in a form, surely it should be basic in terms of you were trying to deport me. You, you said X, Y, Z. This is my compensation appeal. It just seems quite a complicated process in order for these people to receive any kind of compensation. The fact that only 60 people have received it when we know there were hundreds of people affected by the scandal is just ridiculous. I'm not surprised that it's still a shithole. It's so disappointing that it's still not being sorted out. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe as a community, this is something that we need to rally around, like not have the government do anything, but just as a community-based initiative, we look after the people that were affected. 
it's the only solution that I have. I know it really is a government issue that they should be paying, they should be compensating, but maybe if people are at a real disadvantage, it's like, as a community, we need to be given something to help them because we can't rely on this government. I expect them to drag this out for 20 odd years so that a large amount of people die. I think they, they'll wait it out. And really, what do we expect? Do we expect them to be honourable, really? There's that grey area then of then they're never ever held accountable for anything that they promised. As you were saying about the forms being complicated, I remember there being surgeries where people could drop in, I think in Brixton, Hackney, in those kind of highly populated areas where people could get help and assistance, but even getting the word out is a whole other marketing campaign when you don't have the resources to do so, or the care. They're not going to spend hundreds of millions in marketing it and making sure everybody gets that information. And then people who don't have access to if it's an online form or on, I have mobility issues, can't get down to a surgery to even get the help. There's so much barriers to even getting this money. And as Nana said, why does, it, why does it have to be so difficult? It's this holding them accountable and it goes back to not having an official body. We need whatever black body it is, building, go into that building, call that building, have someone speak on your behalf. But I also have the power to hold the government accountable because we can talk and talk and talk, but what's the solution? It's like a very short answer. Government needs to be held accountable. We don't have anybody to hold them accountable unless you've got access to a lawyer or you've got a local MP that's really mouthy. But even then, what, what can they do? And I hate this thing where the petitions thing, like sometimes I sign them and sometimes I don't. But I, I, does anyone have any proof of a petition reaching Parliament as it says it's supposed to do when you get to the certain amount of signatures and then that policy being so effective that it's immovable? on the basis of the signing those campaigns? Because they were bare Windrush campaigns and petitions. Yeah. I think it's kind of too early to say how effective they will be. I think petitions are good because they're a record. So depending on what happens next, it's just like all the petitions at the moment that have been rejected to do with putting black history on the national curriculum. It's an actual record that you guys are actually ignoring it and it helps build a case in a sense. So I do think they're helpful. And I think it's a low barrier. So that's the very least that you can do as a person is to sign a petition if it's something you believe in. I'm to say, I don't know what the solution is here. Yes, I think, no, no, I think that's a good suggestion in terms of like actually not even expecting the help from the government and supporting ourselves for sure. Not even a but, but I would just say we just shouldn't have to do that. I don't know. I don't really have anything positive to say because it's just so expected. Like I wouldn't expect anything less from the British government, to be honest. The fact that this is even a thing is disgusting, man. Like, you can't invite people here only to send them back, what, 70 years later or how many years later? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah. it's actually ridiculous. Yeah. No one's safe in it. That's what I always say. If yeah. you can get another, your other passport, yeah. get your other passport because you never know when you need to S out. The way it's going, it's just like, who knows in like a couple years, it might be, well, if your parents weren't born here, mm. you, do you know what I mean? That's the yep. problem. Or if your grandparents were born here, that's a problem. Yeah. Like we all think we're kind of safe. Well, most of those people must have thought they were absolutely fine. And the piss take, and they do this in the States as well, is that these people are paying taxes. Yeah. You're contributing yeah. to society. You're taking, a, you're taking a, li <laughs> a lifetime of money and then saying, oh no, by the way, because we didn't sort it out at the time and we didn't do our due diligence, now you're going to suffer. It's fuckeries, man. Yeah. It's absolute fuckeries. They just need to mind themselves, isn't it? Because this relentless attack on our community is only going to yield certain results for so long. Do you yep. know what I mean? You can't expect people just to be cool and calm about this. You really can't. So 
just be lucky that everybody is. We're kind of preoccupied at the moment, let's be real. They're just very lucky. It's the fact that people pay taxes. I mean, my dad was part of the Windmush generation and um, he was only granted his citizenship last year. And that's wow, because he wow. came, yeah. So in 50 plus years, the man never left. Like he came here on a boat and he never left this country until last year when he was finally granted his citizenship. And it's because he didn't have a passport because mm-hmm. he came over as a child and lost his passport. His parents passed away. He didn't have access to these things. And even after paying taxes and NI contributions for his entire life, he had to prove that he could stay here by getting like all his children's birth certificates. We all had to give him our birth certificates so that he could present it as a case of why he should stay here. And it's just like, they make it so complicated for people. And I don't believe that any other group of people who have been done dirty and require compensation have to go through quite such painful and complicated process. Mm. I, don't, I don't see it happening anywhere. It's just another example of how they take the piss with us. It's all right. Come here. Rebuild our country. You're, we're the motherland. Come here and help us rebuild it. Then when you're here, you can't get housed. You know, there's so many hurdles and obstacles in your way. You finally make it through. You get to bring your children over. They settle, they have children. And then in their later lives, they're told, oh, actually, no, you're not legal. There were people that tried to get, there were people that had cancer, for example, and tried to get medication and that sort of thing. Mm. And they were told, no, because you're not a citizen. So there were people suffering from terminal cancer who couldn't have the medical facilities that they contributed to for the entirety of their adult lives. The scandal was just ridiculous and it's just being hushed. Yes, there are other things to deal with, but I do believe that this is part of all the other shit because this is just another example of how they deal with us here. It's okay. It's like when we were picking cotton, you know, when they were coming to Africa and raping it of all its resources. That's okay because we're managing you, isn't it? But once we've done what we needed to do, fuck off. Basically, that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. You should be quiet. There were people that were deported that had not been back to their home country since they were like infants. They did not know anybody there. They didn't know what they would do once they got to the airport. I've heard stories of people getting to the airport and once they got there, they have to ask for help because they just didn't know what they were going to do and where they were going to go. It's ridiculous. Someone needs to be held accountable. And as you all say, I just don't know who that person is. And as for petitions, I think that all petitions are good, but I feel like the only petitions that make sure the government actually have to speak about them are the ones that you join on the parliament website. Because mm-hmm. if it reaches a certain number, yeah. they have to, they have an obligation to talk about it in parliament. So mm-hmm. whilst all these change and all these other ones are fantastic, they don't have an obligation to look at them. Yeah. It has to be done on the parliament website. Sitting in limbo, BBC's drama. That tells a story. I think it's Anthony Bryan, the guy who just basically is similar to your father's story, um, Farah, and many other people's story. And it's just the fact that they're treated like criminals for those who have just lived a nice, peaceful existence, contributing, as everyone says, to the taxes and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's really horrible. But I think maybe, maybe this is the time that we're all erupting. This stuff may be being spoken about now on the back of Windrush Day and the, people, and the fact that we are in this moment of not taking shit lying down anymore. The people who have been activists on behalf of the Windrush movement and Windrush scandal, I should say, have been very vocal and very effective yeah. in their work. So with the swelling and the movement, with everyone's mood being quite ready to challenge people, maybe this is actually a good time and maybe there will be more people being able to affect change because we are kind of riled up right now. We're not taking shit lying down. 
So maybe there is hope for change. I'm skeptical on the government side, but maybe us as a people, we are riled up enough to do something and not let the government get away with it. I, I guess so. we shall see. I forgot to mention to everybody, we're kind of putting ourselves on a timer because we like to chat. We kept this within good timing, actually. So we'll try with the next, <laughs> next topic. Who's got another story? Okay, so my story was ZZ Mills' interview with Gliz. It's Gliz, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Jizz. <laughs> no. That's what I want to say, and I am like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Silly name it for it, anyway. So yeah. This white rapper, he went viral. He uh, did a rap, a freestyle, and he spat a little bit of Yoruba in there. And then the very next day, tweets surfaced from his Twitter account, and he was participating in racism. What's that one when it's specifically against black women? Misogyny noir. Uh, there we yeah. go, misogyny yeah. noir. And yeah, he just got called out on it, dragged to high heel. So he went from the highs of being in the forefront of going viral to then being cancelled. ZZ Mills interviewed him and her interview has now sparked other debate on the questions that she asked and if she should have interviewed him, shouldn't have interviewed him. What are you guys' thoughts on this situation? I thought she done pretty well, to be honest. I don't think I've seen a white person who is in a black space being taken to task by a black woman ever. In the UK, I don't know about the US, but in the UK, I've never seen that. Because first of all, I was thinking, oh man, is it giving him a platform? Do you know mm. what I mean? But actually, that thought kind of was quickly like, disappeared you know because I was just like no she's she's right to do this actually and good for her for doing it and she asked the questions that I would have wanted to ask do white people who are in black spaces think about these things mm -hmm. do you know what I mean because this is, <laughs> this is what we think about because it seems like some of the things he was considering for the first time in the moment and that was I thought that was interesting I think he reacted well if I was his PR I would say he's done a good job. <laughs> That's what I would say. Do you know what I mean? I mean, he is what he is. He's like a wannabe backup. So I, I wasn't expecting a huge amount, but like I thought he did come across like sincere and he actually came across a bit shook and rightly so, to be yeah. honest. You know what? I just think that people who are complaining about this, because there's a lot of backlash and I think ZZ Mills gets a lot of backlash. And although, you know, I made a comment on her post, I don't agree with a lot of her viewpoints. But in this moment, she was correct. She was right. And she was the right person for the job. Mm -hmm. In that world, she's definitely the right person for the job. And I think that this will actually maybe go down in history to be honest, for this interview, because it's just never really been done before. Yeah. I think the people complaining, I don't know, do you have the range? Do you understand the nuances? Do you, do you understand the depth of what is actually happening here to even be stating your opinion so willy-nilly? It's like a bloody contradiction. This girl's a black woman, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're supposed to be supporting black women, yeah. protecting mm -hmm. black women. She's standing up for us, to be honest, and you're attacking her. Yeah. <laughs> make it make sense, man. Mm -hmm. I haven't watched it. I just saw one clip and he did look very apologetic. I need to watch it. My only point is that I feel like people come for her for coming for her sake. It's important. Why not interview him and get his opinion and get him to answer some questions? Because it's all well and good him tweeting a response and an apology. But it is a brilliant idea that someone actually sat him down and highlighted the issues. So, you know, more power to it. That's what I say. 
Yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's, it needs to happen. We don't get that chance to really take people to task when they've absolutely abused their position in our world. And usually in what we see, they're forgiven very easily by their black peers who either mm. are scared of losing an ally because they can see the money train. Because, because he even said in his interview that him and I can't I list, I'm not going to remember all the artist names that he works with. They're all five years old to me. But <laughs> the, he was saying that if Cody, basically whoever came out at the same time as him, they released tracks or whatever the case was, but record labels went straight for... Yes. Right. Yeah. For the, yeah. What's his government name? Crying out loud. Okay. No, let's find out. G-Man. Jeremy. I'm going to Google. Gerald or something or Godfrey. Whatever the case. Gliz, G, that guy. He said he's aware of his privilege. And I like that it's easy to do, but what are you going to do about it? Because he said, he gave the poster comments, we've got to be more aware and supportive. Yeah. Easy was like, but what does that mean? But how what is this helping me? That's what yeah, Exactly. Said. What are you doing and how are you giving back? What? Yeah, exactly. Yes. What are you actually physically? Because it's all very good paying lip service. And she asked those questions. All the times that we've seen, because like you said, it's mo this hasn't happened in the UK because we don't have that platform. We don't really have a woman, like a talk show or anything mm -hmm. like that, that we own where we can really get to the nitty gritty of conversations. Hey guys, we're available. This is where the culture is going to, to get out their, their critical conversation. When we look at America, we've had someone like, you know, Charlemagne spoke to Tommy Lauren and it was very much mm. like nicey-nicey, yes. tried to be mm -hmm. hardball, but at the end of the day, you played nice with this racist, abhorrent woman. Exactly. Whereas actually, yeah. her in a chair with either us or ZZ Mills, it wouldn't have been so easy for her to have her little blondie attitude and racist attitude and get away with it. Trevor Noah did, they, they, but they kind of play this intellectual politics kind of game where they're not too harsh, try and come across harsh. Mm. And it just all becomes like a PR movement. Yeah. There's no filter, and you, you need that. And yeah. we need someone to speak mm -hmm. up for us. And it's true, fine. We've talked about it before. We spoke about him last week. We spoke about the Talisa and all that type of stuff. We've been in the space of black folk. They're inspired by the culture. You're allowed in, but you have to absolutely respect the place that you've been afforded. And we are too accommodating. We're always too accommodating, and we're always too forgiving. And the people that are caping for this guy, it's that embarrassment. I think it's that self-consciousness and That's embarrassment. It is. You're feeling uncomfortable as a black person. Oh, no. Mass is going to get mm. angry. We all have to go back in and fucking stop her. Yeah, I just, I thought it was so bizarre because she's come for black guys. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Kind of thing. And being applauded. I just couldn't understand it. Like, what has she done the, wrong? That's the problem. <laughs> the whole thing is, it's like, we've all been put through, the majority of us, the same schooling systems. So we internalise racism as well. It's like, we mm. can be as racist as a white person, but also the sympathies are taught to us. So even as I'm watching it, I'm being very aware of my emotions, feeling sorry for him, because I've been indoctrinated to feel sorry for him, to yeah. put his comfort levels before my own. In so many yes. ways, we just, it's always done to us that you have one step back and you know, you give more respect to them. It's like, it's like a, a a real tangible feeling that is implanted in us that we run with. And going mm. through her comments, that's all I was seeing. I was seeing mm. that you was uncomfortable watching this. And instead of sitting in the uncomfortability and being like, this man, he's a man now, needs to yeah. atone for what he wrote on Twitter. You want to stop her from shining a light on it because it made you feel uncomfortable. And it's really understanding where those feelings are because it's just a feeling. It isn't the reality of the situation. Like, don't let your feelings dictate realities. 
-hmm. It's just a feeling. Let it pass. Let it wash over and then critically analyse. Why was I feeling so much sympathy for this dude who was fine to laugh at black women? Why is that okay? And he's got a black girlfriend now. I'd like to interview her. I think if you trespass us, you should have to pay financially, continuously. You should become a patron to a charity. <laughs> you should support a black woman's cause, not a people of colour, not a babe. Yes. Mm. Black female's cause, you should be putting into that charity or a business and you should become a patron for the rest of your days while you're making money specifically off of our culture. You should have to pay. And I think that was a really good suggestion than just a heartfelt sorry. Because I do think he probably is sorry. Pay now. Because you're going to reap the rewards of our labour that has created this sound that you're cashing in on. And so mm -hmm. now you should be paying. They should be doing that as standard, actually. Any artist, you're using somebody else's labour and you're running on our creativity. You're in our spaces. You should actually think, you know what, because I have this privilege, I should actually be paying back more because I get rewarded more. So it shouldn't just be my friends. As a community, I should be feeding back into the community. I should be paying tithes 10% monthly back into the community. Especially if you're aware of it, because he said he's aware of it. So it's not even like mm -hmm. you're oblivious to it. You know. Mm -hmm. So then that's exactly what you should do. Ties one ten percent from your wages straight. He's gonna get picked up though. In a couple of months, he's gonna be fine. Everyone's gonna forget. Or do you know what I mean? He will just create a fan base who don't hate him. At the moment, he was saying, "Ah, oh, he's too scared to go on social media and stuff, yeah, and he doesn't want to know." He turned off the comments and stuff, mm -hmm. and it's just that. No, why should you turn off the comments? Have the comments well, this on. Is what she, this is what she said. And I, okay. I think the only thing I feel that she didn't dig deeper on is just saying that at the end of the day, it's just that when you were putting out those comments about black women, there was innocent black women who are getting... Sorry, what, what's, what's happening? What is that? <laughs> what's happening? No, no. You can't oh. Hi, please, ladies and gents. I didn't know what the sound was going to be. <laughs> and then she starts dancing to it. I thought that was his shoe. No, 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 no. <laughs> so basically, innocent black women can go on Twitter innocently seven years ago, see your comments and be affected by it. You have the power to turn off your comment. I could just be doing my business or any girl could do no business and seeing that and that's affecting me. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you have that privilege to do that. But when you're spewing that hate, you're not thinking about the girls that you're hurting. Oh, it's just so easy. And, and the thing is, with, when he gets his career, because I know it's going to happen, what lesson will you really learn? That's why you know what I mean. That's the punishment. That's your tithing. That's what you got to give. That's your yeah. that's your redemption. But also, it goes back to also the record labels because we never really got into the whole Blackout Tuesday thing because it's like the the letter of recommendations that they've asked for. The music industry has to change as well because the yes. fact that they see a white boy as more palatable right. to the market, but they also see the black boys who are grimy, gritty, as marketable, but they're like short-lived. They'll do a career mm -hmm. journey, career trajectory with Glitz, and then his Cody that can't get the record deal might get a single-by-single single investment. And then also, they won't give support or advice if they're like one foot in the roads and one foot in the record label. You know what I mean? They don't give them that support. They don't get that mental counselling, that support. They get encouraged mm -hmm. to talk about this stuff. And I definitely think we now need to... Yes, we can talk about hip-hop and grime, and all our real-talk music is real talk from the streets. However, I think as black folks, we need to start 
have taken some ownership on the fact that this shit does affect us. We can't say that a drill track and where someone can talk about killing people isn't part of the problem. And mm. the fact that people, would you? Because mm. I'm just saying that it, this music appeals to everybody, but yet then the industry will play pawns with people who are making this type of music who can lose their life on the back of this music, and then they'll see a white boy who's adjacent, who's of it, speaks a bit like that. And then maybe when he gets to 30, he can switch and do a Justin Timberlake and become a bit R&B smooth. Yeah. And then maybe do pop country when he gets to his 40s. They have the option to so dip in and out. Oh, I've got to stop talking. I don't, I don't like this. <laughs> uh, is, is that, is that a, a move? We've got to move on. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean? Like, for each one, every time you speak. No, it's supposed to be. It was like, I've given, I keep extending the time. Remember we were saying, because we talk so long, we have to have like no. a, a limit. And I'm supposed to do something. I've done, extended this about five, three times. <laughs> and ignoring the alarm. So, you know. Um, what do the viewers think? Should we use the alarm or should we just keep talking? Okay. Swiss said he's on his way. The thing is, it's only because of time management for us and for, because we have a guest coming in that, um, you know, we can just talk for hours and then, there's no timer. We talked about the timer and you guys have disrespected the timer twice. <laughs> I feel like you're saying that because you've got to edit. <laughs> no, no, we said it before. Why? Yeah, no, I know we did. Oh, I'm just, wow. Just, I, I was all you for a proper... Farish, I know. I was all for a proper buzzer, like, <laughs> that will stop us. So, you know no, I mean? no, no, no. That's, that's aggressive. Hello, Uncle Swiss. Hey, Uncle Swiss, can you hear us? You can't hear us yet. <laughs> Are you messaging him? Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, what's your favourite So Solid tune? Mine is Ride With Us. Ride, ride. I think that is like my least favourite ever. Really? Oh, ride yeah. With Us, ride, we, ride. We, we don't need to pick that, do we? We don't it's need to It's alright, it's alright. You didn't like Gary. <laughs> is it cringe? Right <laughs> no, it's probably just 21. <laughs> what's the They Don't Know one? Is it called They Don't Know? They Don't Know They Don't Know About Magic. I love that. I remember that one. Even the remix with Miss Dynamite. No, that's, oh. isn't that Envy? Oh, is that Envy? Maybe it is Envy. Envy is actually one of the favorites. Let me call him. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I like that. That was fun. Cool, Uncle Swiss. Oh, he's... So we could have still kept on talking, to be honest. Oh, I've got halloumi sticks. Can I go and get them? <laughs> no, can't, well, uh, can't be eating on the live, okay? All right, he said he's going to try again. He, was, he just couldn't... Um... Couldn't connect. We won't connect him. Mm -mm, couldn't get audio. He could see us, but he couldn't hear it. We couldn't hear him. He's coming back. <sighs> back in my bed. Hello. 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 Hi. Hello. We can hear you. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, hey. Uncle Swiss. Uncle it's Swiss. So Don't call me uncle. No, man. Your uncle. Me. You're in the room. Your uncle. You're with the aunt. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. We just being oh, polite. Yeah, so have you got time or you looks like you're uh -huh. ready, ready to go you know what i've been so busy today i had a piece to do with the bbc on black pound day and i'm doing some behind the scenes footage as well just in case you know you can't trust the bbc you get me you got to do your own little behind the scenes <laughs> to make sure that Absolutely. everything a oh. <laughs> couple of us get i have no comment <laughs> <laughs> and I have partial comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of us get our bills paid a certain way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I'm doing this from the car right now because I'm just on the go, you know. All right, cool. And um, well, we try not to. Well, we wanted to keep you, but when you got to go, let us know. 
we was going to get into a little headline topic and then come to you. Are you all right to join in the conversation? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm all right to be here and listen. Yeah. Hello, Uncle Cameraman. As long as he don't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uncle's there. Uncle's there. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. Whose story is next? Okay, so it's me and it's a, it's a big one. <laughs> so, I mean, have you briefed Uncle Swiss on what we talk about? Well, I said in the run, did you read the running order, Uncle Swiss? Um, I, I got to glimpse it. I skim read it. All right, so okay, right now, cool. as I said, we, we're doing our headline section where we just go through different That's headlines good, and for mm-hmm. this is our next topic from Auntie Sade. It's not been a great week for black women, basically. So this kind of all started, I think, kicked off with Ray Black and her, I guess, like her announcement, I don't know what to call it, about her being sexually assaulted at a music event by a rapper called Ambush. And she wrote a note about it and had some voice notes that he admitted that what he'd done and he was hmm, lack in the seriousness of his apology. He has come back and apologized now properly. And I do think it seems like it's heartfelt. And there's been like a flurry of revelations coming out on Twitter there's a list going around of artists in the industry that people should avoid. Also, the most popular one, in a sense, is Tim Westwood. So again, because we're aunties, <laughs> got a bit of age on us. This is not the first time we've heard about Tim Westwood. Tim Westwood is kind of <laughs> like, for us, the UK R. Kelly, in a sense. Wow. He preys on young black girls and does inappropriate things. Now, I know from personally seeing things myself when I was younger, and I remember being 16 and seeing him in his ways. And at the age of, I think he was 39 when I was 16. So you can see the age gap, <laughs> like it's a massive one. And knowing young people today who are, you know, in their 20s, 18, that sort of thing, who he's still chasing. And I guess my question to you guys is on a serious, serious note. What can be done about Tim Westwood? Because he's been doing this. He's been abusing young black girls. He's almost like protected in the industry, like untouchable. And I feel quite strongly like enough is enough. Like what can be done about this man? You know what the thing with Tim Westwood is? Yeah, and it's good that we have Swiss on with us because I am exasperated. I am also blocked from commenting on his pages now. Um, he got me on Twitter as well, so I'm blocked on both Instagram and Twitter. But similarly, I remember being 16, going to Westwood Rays, and knowing to avoid him and his crew because they would prey on young girls. And I've seen it as well. And it's just like this continuously going on, and I feel black men have not upheld their end of um, looking after us. I feel quite aggrieved that there are so many rappers that have really gone on his show, co-signed and given him status and allowed him to be such a culture vulture for so many years. The fact that he is 62 on Capital Extra, when it's a young demographic station to me, I think is disgusting. It's like, how? He would not be a black man in that position. And... Mm -hmm. Still on his page, there are still black men giving him credibilities, doing interviews with him. When this is known, it's been exposed. This is just the third exposure this year of a Fred going round and he still has a radio show. So I'm like, I don't know what we as black women can do. I feel like black men need to take 
their leadership role and their position as head and actually eliminate this man from our culture. Swiss, do you want to come back or? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Westwood needs to go. I feel like Westwood needs to go based on his age and based on the things that he promotes in our culture. You know, I, I find it quite disturbing that a big 62-year-old man is promoting drill music mm-hmm. and promoting certain styles of music within our culture. And he has nothing to say based on the issues that we are going through within our culture. His voice is never in the spaces of reason about what needs to happen, you know. Um, he's never given the voice of wisdom in terms of, you know, given he's, he is 62, he's never really given the voice of wisdom publicly that I know of. And he kind of just walks the tight rope, do you understand, and allows his brand to be a shield to what is really, or blind people to what he really is doing maybe behind closed doors and stuff like that because I recently spoke to a friend originally from Brixton and he was kind of talking highly of Westwood. And I was like, bro, Westwood ain't no one to be talking highly of like that, you know? But it's the fact that he ties his brand to so much of our stars and the celebrities that we look up to, it kind of blinds the onlooker as to who the person really is. And I've had certain experiences with Westwood where I'm like, thrown off like when I meet and I'm, I'm like why are you saying that or mm. why are you talking like that or do you understand because how he comes across on radio and with um, with the celebrities that he talks to in his interviews and stuff like he does the whole big dogs and big pit bulls and the whole you know the whole funk master flex thing that he does mm-hmm. and that's kind of the show but you don't really think the show kind of is real in a sense like he, he, he really thinks that kind of grandeur of himself. He has that grandeur kind of self idea. And when you meet him, you realize that he really believes the show. Like, you get what I'm saying? And then for instance, when I've seen him on stage one or two times where he's like going up behind a young black girl and he's mm-hmm. doing the mad dance and that, and I'm thinking, on one hand, it kind of makes you laugh. Don't get me wrong. It, it fits in within the space of entertainment on first glance because we have our own kind of bashment artists and stuff that do that. That's kind of a element of our culture. But when you really check it and you see how old Westwood is, you're mm. kind of thinking to yourself, bro, one, I don't see you do, the, do that with white women. Exactly. Two, you're 62 and this girl, look, this girl looks like she's bloody 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And you're cool with getting behind her and doing all that. And again, you're just kind of taking advantage of the freedom that you have within our culture. So on... The observations that I've had of Westwood since I've kind of come into the game up until now, I'm just like, you know what? My man needs to go, man. He doesn't add nothing to the wider aspect of our culture. It's just just based on the music side of what he does and nothing more. So it just seems like he has no respect for our culture as a whole. So that's that's where I stand with it. Fully agree. And I also, because I, long time haven't subscribed to Westwood. I grew up in the era when, when you're a hip-hop head, and Radio 1, listen to the Westwood show, that, that was where you got your hip-hop from. And we can't, it was always a conversation about his positioning in our culture, dominating over the hip-hop side of things. But because we were starved, like weren't them days and we didn't have all this access to music in different ways, you kind of had to listen to certain channels and that was it. So he was given a pass. But there's always been an element of disrespect or like massive behavior. Like, yeah, well, I, I can be in this space. I've got my right to be and I, I, no one can tell me different. But what troubles me, two things, uh, a few things. The thing that you touched on about the drill music, I think I said it earlier, that he 
is not doing anything to even advise them. He's not doing anything to, as he's 62 years age, should be imparting wisdom and, and even advice or not having them on to encourage or instigate because he's been associated with people who, like with drill artists who have killed people or have been killed. And you're there as an old white man in instigating this and proudly, unashamedly profiting off this, being in the mix of these people. And that, that shows that you don't respect these people. You don't respect the culture because you're allowing this to manifest. And also I looked, because I don't involve myself in Westwood TV or anything like that. Just since all this fallout had happened, I went back through some of his videos and I was trying to find out if he even talks sense in his interviews. Does he even ask proper questions? The man just says like, baby, you know this, yeah. There's, there's no full sentences, barely. And the only time there's a full sentence is when he, wanted, when he wants to dig into the stuff that's negative. Because there was a, I, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you which rapper it was. Some rapper, an American rapper who had been shot. And the amount of questions he was asking about trying to make the guy expand on his experience of being shot and what it was like. And I was like, why are you a 60? I don't know what age he was. I mean, he looks, he's looked forever, since forever. But <laughs> he was asking, really digging deep into that side of things. You're not offering anything better. And then there was two like, young, in the UK, on his Capital Extra show, two young grime or drill artists asking about the girls. And it's like, the guy's like, you know, talking like how young boys talk about girls. But as a grown man, why are you even 62? You're not even like you're in your 30s. Why are you entertained? And how do you feel comfortable as a grand, you're a granddad. You're these kids' granddad. Yeah, and you're, you're like, yeah, like the girls are hiding. <laughs> and laugh, it's cringeworthy. I hate it. But back to, on top of that, what are we, and I guess, putting it on you, Swiss, because you're in your representation of all black men, representing all black men <laughs> in the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But why we can't do enough, because when black women talk, there's a certain extent, then we're bitter, we're angry, we're haters, all this type of stuff. But it is down to the artists that continue to go on his show and endorse him, because I've had seen it on Twitter across the board, oh, you lot, Westwood's a legend in the game, can't come at him, and, if it, and then they're putting the blame on the young girls but not on a 62-year-old white man. Yeah. So you're dashing, away, yeah. you're dashing away the culture, you're dashing away the young girls, your sisters and your aunties and your girls and all that type of stuff. And then you're back in this old white man who's got what, gonna give you two seconds on his show. Why are we, why is it that black men don't, or black artists or male rappers and shit, so reluctant to call him out? Cause they're endorsing him. He's getting his vibes from them. I think it's what he means to the structure of the music industry. Because okay. he, he's upheld in a certain way, his brand is upheld in a certain way. Um, he's managed to, you know, not even just him, him and the people around him. Because can Westwood even mix? I don't know. As a DJ, <laughs> as someone that's, as someone that's classed as a DJ, does he actually mix? And I've been up on his show and I've seen the little young black DJ in the corner. You know what I'm saying? Doing what West, Westwood's supposed to be doing. So he's more of a he's more of a mic man. Mm. and a presenter rather than a DJ. But it's more what his brand means to the music industry and how the, the structure upholds him. So I think that's where the, um, his legacy has been able to be, be preserved. He's not really on the ground doing anything, but it's what he does from the structure and his placement and how he's been placed in the industry. And that, again, as I say, is, is the, um, the aura that's placed around him. You know the music industry? the entertainment industry can place a certain aura around a certain individual and mm -hmm. whoever is coming in on the come up just um, automatically respects that person because of the aura that's placed around them. So I think that's it, man. And, and people just fall for it. People just fall for it. As I did, as I did when I was coming up, you know, I listened to all my favorite um, rappers 
were coming through Westwood to me in terms of having a personal connection outside of their albums. Do you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That means something. Like, his brand is connected mm-hmm. to that personal experience. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure it's the same for, for you guys if you listen to Westwood as well. So it's kind of hard in your mind to separate that and, and place it within context for what's going on and what people are saying now. I agree. When I hear people, to put him on a pedestal and that sort of thing, it's just like, at the end of the day, he was a gatekeeper. Do you know what I mean? And he was put in there by whatever organisation he represents. It's not because he has some special talent or he's got great relationships. He was, at one point, the only person, the only kind of credible show there was where you could listen to decent hip-hop and also UK music, right? That's, a, I think, a, a big way that he got his notoriety, really. But now I think he's crumbling, do you know what I mean? I, and I think this is where you go for the jugular. Yeah. At the end of the day, he's trying to move into Afrobeat now. What does mm. he know about Afrobeat? Do you know what I mean? Like, he was booked at Africa Day or something like that. Um, he's at Afro Nation. Like, what are you doing here, bro? Like, seriously. Like, you, you to, to be honest, you don't belong here. And I, I say that with my chest. You know nothing. You know yeah. nothing about this. So I think this is the opportunity to take him out. He means nothing to the scene. He doesn't need to be in the scene. There's more already established people that have his role. Let's just sweep the leg, man. Sweep the leg. Yeah. Seriously. So, yeah. And I think he should be playing the songs of his age mates, as I said in our kind of thing. Can I just jump in quickly, just to just to state this, like, I've not looked into any of the stories with the um, young women that have placed allegations against him or anything like that. And I'm not so much aware of any of the historical cases, if there are, if there are any. Because I haven't really paid attention to Westwood for a very long time. You know what I'm saying? Since he was on radio. Is he still on radio? No, he's on Capital. Since he was on Radio 1 and years, you know, years back, I haven't listened to him. So, and I haven't focused on what he's doing. So, I don't really know any depth about the stories that have gone on recently as well. So, bear with me for being ignorant on that side of things. But I'm definitely going to be looking into that. But I just know, generally, my stories more come from the different generations of DJs and people that have worked around him that have had gripes about, you know, his positioning and how he's enabled himself to stay in a certain position for how long just because of his skin colour or his network of people and who he knows. So I just wanted to say that. I just wanted to say Mm -hmm. that. What I was going to say is that what's interesting to me is that there's all these allegations and he is still on Capital One Extra, is it? Um, Mm -hmm. That's it, Capital Extra. Because you would expect that even whilst this was going on they would put out some sort of investigation there's a lot of people coming out and saying stuff about him and their response at the moment has been to block people who are atting them Mm. on twitter and other things and then come out and apologize for doing so and saying that it's not down to us it's actually someone in the office who shouldn't have done that but for me if there are these allegations based on historical things with Jimmy Savile and a lot of other people who we know did shit, they should at least put him on a suspension while they perform their own investigation as to what's going on. It's bad form that he's just still out there doing his ting, for want of a better word, because his ting is kind of whack as far as I'm concerned. He's not even a good DJ, so. Just to for what you were saying to us about from the DJ perspective and from rappers, because the late great Ty has had always called him out and Rodney P and some of the OGs of the British hip hop game because Westwood didn't support them. Unless it's someone like a Kendrick Lamar does even support conscious rap or rap with a different message. It's all this, oh, we lost Swiss quickly. 
Oh. And he'll come back. I was just about to segue to him. <laughs> Hopefully he'll be back in a sec. And I think I was saying to you guys that, you know, he's a clout chaser of the worst. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, even that a leech. A leech, leech. yeah, just a vulture. Parasite. 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 Yes, that word. Yeah. Yeah. Even. He's literally a virus. He's a colonizer. He's a colonizer. He's a colonizer. Yeah. When, um, when um, Ty passed, he had the cheek to post rest in peace brother and Ty had never liked Westwood and so the Ty's people rallied the troops. We all went and harangued Westwood's pace to the point he was blocking and his arrogance he was blocking and deleting comments but still because everyone was like he didn't like you why are you calling him brother mm. you're he, bad enough mm. you couldn't say rest in peace not he didn't like you how dare mm. you say my brother so then after a while he deleted the brother and then afterwards after enough more cussing he, then he deleted it but look at that arrogance how dare you go on like your brethren to someone and someone whose music you never played and you never supported that mm. side of the culture. I um, think he's deluded. I just think he's beyond. just a deluded man. Like, you know, he's a middle-class guy who's the son of a bishop who kind of probably wanted to escape his reality, you know, maybe just stumbled across this thing and has gone, he's just like not letting go. He just, it's like he can't deal with his own reality. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So he's in this like Peter Pan kind of, I don't even know, like, I don't even like that phrase because it almost suggests that, you know, what he's doing is fun and exciting. Or unconscious. And actually, yeah, and, uh, yes, exactly. But, like, actually, you are going out of your way to groom young black girls. And the fact of the matter is, it's just like, if he was doing this to white girls, white girls. he would have been shut down a long time ago. Very, very do you know what I mean? Like, very seriously, there's no way he could have continued to do this and repeat these patterns again and again, year after year. You have no business at unis. Like, no. do you know what I mean? You have no business picking up uni girls. Like, you don't have any business yeah. there, let alone the ones that are even underage. I, I don't even know. Like, it's just like this whole rape culture. It's out of hand. It's just ridiculous. And, and we're seeing it, like, because it's even, who was it that uh, saw this morning? Kojo. Kojo fans. Talking to Andre, age girls. Fredo, talking to Andre, girls. Like, Seriously, are you so lacking in manliness yeah, that you have to go to? And more, do you know what I mean? Kind of thing that you have to go to underage girls to get your kicks. Like, seriously, really? Ugh. So, I don't know if you guys are up to date with I May Destroy You, but it's, it's really tackling different angles of consent. And it's, it's just, uh, Michaela's doing it in such a way because there's a conversation that really needs to be had. Leon does a watch party um, with um, watching I May Destroy You, then we have that conversation afterwards. And in that conversation, I was like, along with telling boys and teaching boys about no means no, and as well as teaching them about the grey lines of consent, there's also a need to unpack this feeling that if you don't get sex, that you're supposed to feel angry about it. I don't mm. know where it comes from. Because I was asked um, the guys in the, on the call, what happens if you lot don't get sex? Do your dicks fall off? Do you, do you get blue balls? Like, is it that? Because we are raised to feel so bad if we say no. So, and they, I mean, the, the, this is a, like a, maybe a direct, con, direct context, but this is all about this whole, when approaching people, because young boys and men feel more in control when they're approaching younger people and they can manipulate them mm, more. And right. So there's the whole condition that we get. So we're conditioned to feel uncomfortable to say no, because you know what, I've changed my mind for having sex, or I don't want to give you my number. Or because if we don't give in to men, then it's like their whole souls are broken. We've been taught this thing that they actually get wounded or something. 
So they were like, well, no, nothing really happens. It's disappointment, but not really. But then you've got young boys who are angry if you don't get sex or angry if you don't get the number. Where has that come from? And that, that's also part of the lesson and the reprogramming. Re, um, because actually, are you really angry? When you check it, are you really angry that you haven't had sex? Or is it because society and your peers have made you feel like you're supposed to be pissed off if a girl doesn't give you sex or a girl doesn't give you her number? Or if a girl challenges you on your behavior, what is it that you makes you think it's your ego, hyper masculinity, all those things that need to be changed? Because these boys are got are acting like they they have every right to do this without mm. without being challenged. Why are they so confident? But it's confident know, you know. a lack of confidence. Mm. But I think the crux of it is like a real unknowing of your emotional intelligence. Like there's there's a real disconnect. So then you go straight to Neanderthal when you're yeah. giving a no and the response is violence. Mm. It's not let me take myself off to re-collaborate myself. It's like, no, you must succumb to me, which is really quite weird. And we learn that. So women, yeah. in order to avoid that type of violence, will internalise another type of violence where they're going against their innate no to say yes to you. So again, yeah. it's like there's this cycle of violence that keeps on going round and round. And there's a real conversation that we all have to have because I think in everything, it's not always outside. It's an internal one. I know bringing up boys, I have to think of what could I be doing that could add to their lack that when they grow older, they expect certain things from women mm. that if they if it doesn't come into fruition they respond with violence so it's it's really looking at how I mother mm. what I put in front of them that they're internalizing that they take on this is this is masculinity this is this is what I'm supposed to be like I'm being very conscious of how they're internalizing their world so that they don't perpetuate that to other people and they don't think it's my right to always hear a yes because you're not going to hear a yes but you don't see this same type of violence happening to white men like you know it's, so you do have a hierarchy in place you don't have black men in the workforce being bypassed for um, promotions which happens a lot and then shooting up the place but you see that with white men so I'm really trying mm. to think of what is mm. innate kind of self-loathing that you're it's okay to act out this violence on black women, but you're not inherently violent because you don't act out the same type of violence to white people. No. So you're able to, you know, hold that in. It's, it's really like, what is that? And that's the thing. I'm hoping that there are black men sitting there thinking, what is it in me? Why do I feel that I can act out this way? Like really ambush, sitting there thinking, why would I think that I could do this and not be called out? Really, like really and truly, why, why do I think that's okay? And then that also really plays into then their lack of support when we are troubled. Like when we are mm. calling out, crying out for help and saying we have been attacked. And instead of saying, yeah, you know what? Especially even, okay, we've got to deal with our own inter-community stuff, fine. Not fine, but we've got to deal with that. But when you, it's that same thing that you said, Nana. You're not gonna, you're gonna back a 60 year old, dirty white man who has, you know, has pillaged your culture. You know he's a gatekeeper, you know all this. Because if we had a different conversation, 
and put it in context, they were probably like, yeah, man, it's true. Yeah, it's true. You know, my man's a DJ, can't get on Capital Extra because they got Tim Wesson. They'll have that conversation. They'll be up in arms talking about it. But then you're going to say that, yeah, well, the girl was 18 and what's she doing in the club? What's she doing on stage? You have nothing to say mm. for this 62-year-old white man because you see us as commodities or as objects that are yours to yeah. pick up and dash and discard and have. We're supposed to say yes to you when, we want, when you want to fuck us and then we're supposed to be quiet when you want to go off and say we're not good enough. The exotic white beauty or the mixed race beauty or the light-skinned beauty or whatever is better or even that, even they, even they fetishize mixed race girls and light-skinned girls and then put us all in these weird categories that they can have at, at their whim and then they won't go for the actual oppressor. But then they'll come back and say, the white man's holding me back. Fuck, what is this confusion? It's toxic masculinity, isn't it, really? That's ultimately what it is. It's like, we're all oppressed under the system. So they feel oppressed and they're just taking it out on the next best thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, just, they're just shoveling it down the, a trowel, really and truly. It's just, I don't know, man. I just feel like some men think that you should be grateful if they look your way. Like, and it's just like, nah, man. It's just, I would like to think that this type of thing is changing, but it doesn't seem to be. It seems very similar to how things were back in our day, really and truly. It seems very, very similar. So I don't know. I really don't know. I think there's, there's a lot of training given to women to how to survive yeah. these types of things. So many tips and tricks of how to, you know, avoid a guy that you're not interested in. But not the same for guys, man. Seriously. It's about power and manipulation, isn't it? That's why a lot of these people go for these young girls because they can mould them into whatever it is that they want them to be. Yeah, exactly. They can groom them. They Mm -hmm. can groom them into whatever it is that they want to be and manipulate them and, and, you know, influence their way of thinking and convince them that it's normal. They normalise this paedophilia behaviour. That's what they Mm do. Um, That's part of the issue. I don't think I've made this up, but one year... Kanye West was on The Breakfast Club and they were asking Kanye about um, Tiger and Kylie. Mm. Right, yeah. And he was like, Tiger was smart for getting her young. Yeah. 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 That yeah. happened, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. But this is the normalisation of it. It's just, it's it, actually, just it, like, it's disgusting. <laughs> I remember I was like, that is wretched. But again... But I they do that across the board. That's not just black women, that's all women. Yeah. It's just... Yeah sexualized from a very young age can you hear us Swiss? and can we hear you yeah yeah my battery died you know i thought so I wanted to... <laughs> yeah. okay but hopefully it stays the way it's supposed to we, well we were going to come to you next after this anyway so i guess girls um is everyone said what they need to say i guess we can yeah, like... man, let's talk about this initiative. yeah, yeah so man. my new story is about a young wonderful gentleman who started <laughs> this initiative called black pound day um <laughs> Some of you might know him from the fantastic group So Solid. I remember when I first met Swiss, this was um, at when I worked at Channel U and uh, Cry had come out and I was a massive fan. And I think that's when we first met, you must have come down to the studios one time. And then ever since then, we've been cool and just like the work that you do. And so I'd like to introduce Uncle Swiss. Yay! Uncle Swiss! You're the first yeah. male we've had, the first uncle. You're the first one. Oh, good, 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 good. Setting precedence. That's good. So, yeah, Black Day for me was me trying to redirect the energy of the trauma that we were going through as a result of George Floyd's death with the protests. There you go. Look at that. 
is, but she's had enough. He's gone, yeah. I think oh, okay. Maybe Uncle Camera Guy's got the links. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Camera Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got like a little mini story to talk about? What is a mini story for us? I don't know. Exactly. Do we ever? Oh, can we talk about, um, can we, have you guys seen this new Karen video of the woman that's like, don't stop attacking me. But she's literally, <laughs> <laughs> she's no, literally doing the most. She looks like, it. so basically, I think she was driving and she, um, she swore, she put a finger up at one guy and he followed her and she, she called him a nigger or something like that as well, kind of thing. And like, he followed her and was just like, lady, what's going on? And she's like, stop attacking me. <laughs> but then she drops to the floor and she's like, wow. like a Nollywood film. It's oh, just no way. Someone needs to do a voiceover to that. It's oh, my God. Funny. No, yeah, I've seen so. the Karen one where the woman drives down the road and stops outside of this woman's house and starts taking pictures on her property. Oh, yes, she says that yeah. her garden is messy and like yeah. everyone's like, do you live here? She says, no, <laughs> but your garden's messy. But do you live here? And then she's refusing to leave. And then like um, one auntie says to her, look, we're going through yeah. so much trauma. Yeah. We are in sorrow right now. You yeah. need to leave us alone. And then she's trying to make out like she can't drive her car because one of the women stands in there recording. But the woman's like, I'm on the curb. You can move. Mm. It's just, there's a lot of Karens right now. It's we're really we're going to have our special, innit? Our, oh, yeah, we, yeah, we need to have a Karen special. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Sure. About Seriously. Yeah, innit? We need to talk about Karen. Because we do. <laughs> Oh, you know what? In our um Facebook group I will put the link to um Janine. She's an academic, she has a blog and she just breaks down her interaction with a Karen perfectly. Mm. Um put it in the group, but it's just the way the woman does every step, you're bullying me, you're attacking yeah. me, I've been jumped. Mm when she was just going at black women and then it's like, you're bullying me, you're all attacking me. And then she did the apology. Like, if I offended you, and it's just like, I swear <laughs> they must have a book. It's a, they must mm-hmm. have a Bible. It's a handbook. How can you they go to a college? Formula? I think it's a secret class they take at college. It is. It's just it is. weird. It's like, it's such a formula. It's like, th- there wasn't a step that she missed. She did everything. It was like, you guys are coming for me. But it was all of the buzzwords. You're bullying me. You're attacking me. I was jumped. Like, all of this. And all it was was a Twitter exchange. So, actually, nobody can do anything because you can just disengage. Like, you don't have to be bullied on Twitter. You can just go back your business. But I've been jumped. Who jumped you? Really? Like, <laughs> what it feels like to be jumped physically. Like, you wouldn't mm. just be using these words. Janine's just done a brilliant rundown. It's such a good play-by-play and then look at the stereotype that she's thrown in our faces here. Their madness is mad, though. Going through Karen's Gone Wild, that um, Instagram <laughs> yeah. page. So serious. Like, I scrolled through it and I scrolled through it and I was laughing and I was catching jokes from it. I was like, oh my God. But there's a moment where it's just sinister because after a while, like, first of all, there are hundreds of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all, there's... Every, everywhere. 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 And then they all do... All over the world. All over the exactly. world. And they're really freaking mad mad yeah. as in angry mad and also you're not normal why are you screaming to the air in frustration at what you made yourself <laughs> so worked up you just decided to stand and go <laughs> and just go mad why are you screaming to the air because you made you came yeah. and put yourself in a situation and then got angry with yourself it's like a child they are you know what they've been infantilized because that's what they were treated like 
precious little things that couldn't even freaking move without well, breaking. This is the them. thing. I think that their reality is that they think they're precious and they've, they've been told their whole lives that they're this princess at the center of everything. And then they grow up and realize, no, no, no. actually you're not. You're not at all. And they don't know where to put that frustration. So they take it out the next best thing. <laughs> and, then, and also in that realization, they're looking at us thinking, well, how the fuck are you surviving? You've been downtrodden. Yes, yes it's the well. Your men love us, but yet you're still surviving and you can handle all those kids and you can go to work and you can take racism and you look good and, and you look young. Hold yes. on a minute. Yes. I'm looking 80 and yeah, man. <laughs> we shall come back to this. <laughs> We need to bring a Karen in. We do, man. We need. Oh, do you really? Listen, want I to? know some Karens, but they wouldn't come on here. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't, don't want to do that. Don't want to. I mean, they would need to back themselves, though. What about a reformed Karen? <laughs> a reformed Karen. A reformed Karen. Yeah. A Karen that is like I used to be a Karen. Yeah. yeah. And now I'm not a now Karen. I'm a, now I'm a Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's wipe the camera a bit because it's looking doing Is soft it? Is it? Yeah, it's looking a bit greasy. I was being polite. Is I was it, saying it, soft glow. This is this is the cameraman's phone. <laughs> Uncle cameraman, come on, man, fix your equipment, Uncle cameraman. How does that look? How does that look? It's better. It's better, better yeah? Slightly romantic it is, but it's all right. We can work with uh. it. <laughs> You were telling us about Black Pound Day. Black Pound so. Day, and the um, inspiration for me came from came from the idea of trying to redirect the energy, the justified frustration that we were exerting towards the system. Mm -hmm. But I just felt like it was just another cycle of historical trauma that we was going through. And I didn't really see a positive outcome out of it. So for me, it was a way of redirecting the energy into, into having a positive outcome. And Black Pound Day is the result of that motivation. So yeah, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Anyone got so, questions? So we have the Saturday and it is for people yeah. to support black business, yeah? All cultures, all ethnic backgrounds. What's the aim going forward from Saturday? Okay, the aim going forward is, so we also have Black Pound Day UK, .UK which is a directory that um, hosts black businesses all up and down the UK. So when people want access to services and products that are sold by black people, they can access them through that directory, www.blackpoundday.uk. Other than that, we do want to share information as well. We want it to be an information source and, you know, within the space of documentation and, yeah, just highlighting black businesses visually as well, not just through, through the directory, like in terms of contact, but I want to go around and, and interview a few, you know, of our businesses up and down the country to get more of an idea of how they feel from a personal level and to see if they can give some sort of experience about how they need the black consumer to support them, you know? Because mm -hmm. I think that's important to understand that dynamic and that relationship. So for instance, today after this BBC interview, I'm in Brixton now and I went to Fish Wings and Tings. I don't know if any oh, of you yeah. know about that. I know that. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fish Wings and Tings. Um, I know that owner very well, Brian. Um, so we had a little chat. And then I'm sure you're aware of Next Door, which is um, Eat of Eden. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's vegan the space. vegan spot next mm -hmm. door. Yeah. And then I got um Oracle's juice bar as well, which I know very well. You know, those are all my people. Then I got um Nater Vital, which is under Brixton Recreation. They sell a lot of health products and stuff like that. And the idea about 
um, how they feel about, um, you know, the black consumer, black business, the economy, um, and um, black pounding. So, yeah, I know that was a bit pretty much long-winded answer, but yeah. No, but it's good to know. And it's like, how did you, how did you galvanize people to rally around you and get support? Because... Yeah, do you know what? It's funny, you know, because this idea, I felt like the universe was like through an assignment on my table. Mm. Okay. I was like, this is what you need to do. You get me? Because mm. right now I feel very much connected with source. Yeah. Mm. And I'm listening and I'm open to what needs to be done. And I'm basically just following guidance is being given to me. When I put the idea out, people just started jumping in my DMs. I never really had a team around me. And now I've managed to build a team through the social media contacts that I've acquired since putting the message out there. Love that. Which yeah. is which is interesting because I'm gonna be real with you, yeah. I'm gonna be real with you. Like, let's get honest. I never had no plan for this. There was not a plan, but there was an assignment laid on my table. That's what I'm talking about. Like, mm-hmm. you understand? And I felt like I needed to do this for my community because again, I, I saw just a cycle of trauma and a cycle of emotional outpouring, but I never saw any positive outcome in a productive manner that was looking like okay. This is where we're going now because we're very reactive. We're very emotional as black people. We, we jump into relationships emotionally, you know, based on emotion. Most people do, don't get me wrong. As I said, we're not unique in that sense, but um, from my experience, yeah. So we jump into relationships emotionally. We make decisions emotionally. We buy based on emotions. We eat based on emotions. A lot of our decisions and a lot, a lot of the way we act as human beings and as, as a black community is out of emotion. You know what I'm saying? And we're, especially with this, with the interaction or the dynamic between the oppressor and us as the oppressed or the quote-unquote minority within the society that we live in, when we have acts of violence against us that come from the system, there is a very much a traumatic and knee-jerk response. And I didn't want us mm. to just go through that again without having a productive outcome. Mm. So this is the yeah. result of that. Do you understand? And I just felt like, you know what? I'm going with this, man. Because I, I had the idea from about 10 years ago. Don't get me wrong. So the idea is like 10, 12 years old. And I just felt like it was probably the right time to do it now. So what I'd done was I woke up one morning. I spoke to Robin Walker, the black history man. I don't know if any, any of you that know Robin Walker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, spoke to him, um, shared the idea. He was like, you know what, good idea. Let me pass you on to the money mob. I didn't really want to jump into this myself because it's not really my field per se so he passed me on to some elders that were kind of in you know that space i dm them i didn't get an answer so i just went through i went through with it myself and as i say I, i'm following the guidance that i've been that i've been given so my team has been assembled um since the 6th of of june since i announced it we have the directory we have the website i've got ogilvy involved which is one of the biggest advertising agencies yep. Mm-hmm. they're collaborating with me on this now and I'm also collaborating oh, well, I can't talk about that yet there's also another big collaboration with another um, another big company within the culture that are getting behind me as well so as I said it's kind of self-confirming that this was supposed to happen when yeah. everything starts aligning yeah it's amazing that all these people are coming behind you but I, I do know that you faced some backlash as well from let's call them people who are ignorant for want of a better word. Like, and one of the comebacks that I heard that you said, which was brilliant for me, was that no one says anything about Chinatown. Mm. So can you tell 
tell me who you've kind of faced backlash from and what else, how else you've gone about, you know, quieting the noise. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, um, good question. Um, I don't, I don't think that came off the back of anyone asking me a question, but I think that came just based on research I was doing because there's other communities that are doing their thing, but they don't have to place their identity on their products or whatever for them to be able to galvanize their community to, mm. to interact with it. Mm. But I feel like with the Black Pound Day, I had to do that because it gets straight to the point. Mm. And for people mm. that do have an issue, I'm like, yeah, but you don't have anything to say about Chinatown. Do you understand? You know, that's blatantly them endorsing their own racial identity or nationalism within a country that they're not indigenous to. Yeah but they've been given the right to do that. And there would be no capitalism if we were not the first commodity that the Western world had to be able to make money off of. Yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I have a right to do what I want yes. with the color that you placed upon me. I didn't ask to do that. Yeah. Do understand? Yeah. I have a right to do what I want with it as a free man and as an autonomous person within this society. And that's what I'm choosing to do. First of all, I think myself and Auntie Nana will be signing up because we both yes. have retail brands, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing, Everyday Pro Day. And Nana has a lovely Aya. My question is, when black people organise things, which you're doing is amazing and stuff, often, after a couple of years, they often get try to be shut down. So if you're thinking ahead, like, what are you doing to kind of try and protect against that? So this is something that lasts. I'm trying to get my community to understand the importance of this initiative, um, especially within the space that I'm coming from, because there's a lot of conscious factions of our community that have been doing this for years and been talking about this for years. But I feel like from the space that I'm coming from, in the music industry, the legacy that I have, the network that I have, the people that I'm attached to, I feel like with the support of the people that are coming from the space that I'm coming from, with them standing beside me, hopefully we can make this a long lasting thing because of the importance that we, the, the importance of the time that we're in now and the importance of how significant it is that we stand together coming from the historical moment that we're experiencing right now. So, so yeah, I'm just asking my community to help me to see this through. Because as I said, I can't do this by myself. It was an assignment that was thrown on my table. And I'm just trying to do the best for my community that I can. And so I do have a lawyer on board with me right now that's helping me to structure things in the right way it needs to be. So um, just with galvanizing the, the, the best minds of my community, we can keep this uh, a project that's, that has longevity and um, that can continuously support and sustain the community, I guess. I don't know if that's an answer to your question, sis, but yeah. <laughs> so... Um, Everyone's seen the Killer Mike documentary on um, Netflix. Did you ever think about doing what he did with just trying to live black? <laughs> you know what? I've never tough. done that. <laughs> I've never done that, but I think that would be a hard thing to do in this country. Mm. Very hard. But again, it would be an eye-opening experience because I don't think Mike done that because he knew he would be able to do it. I think he done that to, be, to shine light on the holes yeah. in our mm. ecosystem as a black economic structure and where we can fill in the gaps. Yeah. So if there's any um, genius minds out there that can see some of the gaps that Mike was able to shine light on, they will step forward and create those services or products that are needed within our community. And I feel like I'm doing the same thing with this endeavor in some way, shape or form. 
I've always had this thought that if we could have a campaign similar in structure to um, fair trade, so you see how people shop consciously with fair trade and fair trade was an initiative started out by a consortium of, of white people who decided actually we need to consciously create this movement so that people are paid fairly. I think that's the same space that buying black needs to be in. So as a community, it's good to actually plant that seed within black people to buy from other black people because that seed had been removed from us. So yeah. actually putting that back in that you should actively with your eyes and ears and all your faculties be seeking out black business is important. But then also for the wider community that they feel duty bound as a reparation, as a conscious shopping idea that you should be consciously shopping with black people because you have had hundreds of years of advantage on us and the system systematically holds us back from actually getting capital. So the capital that you have access to, you should be, it, I really feel like it should be in, planted in people's hearts, in their conscious, that they shop with black people. Yeah, yeah. that shift to happen, that's what I really think is a good thing that you're coming with this black pound, that actually, and in this moment, with my business, I've noticed that in conversations with customers that they are actively being like, I'm shopping with you as a black woman. And then my response is, yeah, you're shopping with a black family. Like you put money into it. Yeah. feeding my That's family. right. That's and right. It's a good thing that you place your money this way. Then you go to Zara because that's a corporation who aren't paying tax. Like, mm -hmm. So actually, like, place your money consciously within the black community. It's not like, like some kind of black supremacy would take place although i do believe even if there was a black supremacy it would be the polar to white supremacy so it would probably help everybody anyway because that's just within our nature but just yeah. it's like actually spending with black people should be a moral duty at this moment in time that everybody 100 percent, 100 percent. it shouldn't be based on sympathy it shouldn't be based on empathy it should mm -hmm. be based on the fact that you, you you find it your duty to do that as a citizen or as a yeah as a citizen of the black race <laughs> as a citizen of the black race it's just basically expanding the idea of family you make sure you want to put back into your family but the black community is just your wider family and we're part of this community the society sees us as one why don't we see us as one yes. you know you've been this way since I've known you. And you've also, you've, you're a published author. You wrote the book, Spot the Difference. And yeah. that was an empowerment book. Things, I guess I want to ask, where did the guy that was in So Solid, that people would cast aspersions and not think that none of you would have that kind of conscious thought, but where did all this come from? Where did your inspiration yeah. to do for people or your feeling of a responsibility to better our people come from? That's a very good question. Very good question, man. I've always been conscious of who I am. Mm. And there's a deeper story to that that I don't want to go into, but it kind of starts with my household. But after the soul solid palaver that we went through with the media, being scapegoated and, um, you know, them creating moral panics out of our presence in the public eye and some of the things that were going on in our culture at the time. After our first album, I felt very empty spiritually. Mm. So... That's when I really went on my self-conscious journey. And when I say self-conscious, I don't mean being self-aware of myself, but being conscious of my, of my blackness and wanting to fill myself up spiritually. Yeah, and I guess that's where Cry came out of. 
because I was heavy on Lauryn Hill's album at the time, the Unplugged album. I always yeah, have to yeah. tell that story. Like, I always have to let people know when they ask me about Cry, I tell them that the inspiration to dig deep came from Lauryn Hill. Mm. Do you understand? One, to let you know, you know that it came from somewhere, not just me. And two, to let you know it came from a black woman. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, man, I just, yeah, after the album um, and what we went through with the media, I just felt really empty and I went on my journey and I just started studying, you know, lots of stuff about, you know, black history, black uh, spirituality. Yeah, that's kind of where it came from. Did you ever feel the pressure to conform to, you know, as we were talking about the stereotypes of our music and because... I mean, even amongst your peers, was it a challenge to have that change and rebirth and say like, look, I'm on this conscious path, but obviously you, have, you would have had people around you like, what are you doing, man? Nah, that, all that hotep shit and all that type of stuff. So <laughs> was there any resistance or did you find it a struggle? How did you manage to stay true to who you are and stay to your path? Were you ever steered off it or? Yeah, I think I've had various times where I've had, there was a time where I separated myself kind of after the second album. I think everyone just kind of went on their own paths. Mm. And then that's when you saw Harvey doing the TV stuff, you know, Lisa doing that stuff, Romeo doing the TV stuff, Mega going into other business ventures. And then myself, I kind of went onto the, the health conscious path. And yeah, so I took a, a time away from the industry. And that's when I had my son. I became vegan. And yeah, I, I, I basically separated myself. So that was a time for me to kind of rebirth myself, find myself and come into my own maturehood and adulthood within that within that separation but during that journey i was obviously still in contact with people and most of the people that i was in contact with in some way shape or form whether they're in soul solid or not learned something from me during that journey learned something about health mm. learned something about yeah i guess mostly about health and mm. consciousness do you know what i'm saying yeah in the mm. conscious path so i was still me and i was still able to impact the people that I had grown up with. And that's probably why this campaign is so effective for people who believe in you and you've been, you haven't been, from how I've seen you, you haven't been preachy, you haven't been kind of pious or, what's the word? Like, you haven't looked down on people or have, you haven't come across judgmental. It just seems like you've been the same, but you just happen to be talking about some stuff that people, from coming from someone else, people would laugh at or judge or seem as difficult and stuff like that. So definitely hold you up to that because you've been Thank the same you. from day one, to be honest. Just wanted to ask, just as Swiss is on his spiritual path, just if he's really felt that energy shift in 2020, that kind of yeah. gateway opening. Where system, man. Things are just flooding in, like this is, the, this is the year. That's it, that's it. That's why I went with this, you know. Mm. Did I really want to? That's why I called um, Robin Walker. And that's why I... Um, you know, wanted to collaborate with someone on it because I didn't kind of feel like, mm, is this what I'm supposed to do? But I'm going with the energy. And mm-hmm. a few posts before I actually announced the Black Pound Day initiative, I posted something. This was literally the day after George Floyd died. But I had already been experiencing this shift for those that are plugged in from way before, like way before, but I guess we're on the precipice right now and this energy's heightening. Do you know what I'm saying? But I posted... Is everyone ready for the new world? I just spoke about what it's going to take for us to adapt ourselves or co-create this new world. Because it's not just going to happen. The new Mm -hmm. world is basically a co-creation with the energy that is present right now, that is is taking place, but it's also coming through us as well. Mm -hmm. So it has to be a a contract between the universe, Allah, God, whatever you want to call the the creator, yeah, the the, the most high, the, the higher power, 
and us. It's a co-creative function. Do you get what I'm saying? And I feel like people have to understand that. It's not going to drop on your lap. So that's basically the post that I gave a couple of days before. And you can kind of succeed. If you look at all the posts, posts since that post of, are you ready for the new world? If you look at the succession of what's happened since then and where I'm at now with this initiative, you can kind of see the connection. Yeah. You know, so... Yes, sister. I am plugged in. I do feel the shift, and it's 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 here, man. It's happening. Yeah, man. Um, I don't want to get too woo woo. I don't know if you're in the right space. I feel like our audience is. Yeah, Auntie Nana loves it. I'll take it there. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. You're in the right. You're in a safe space. Trust me. You need to listen to our other episodes and know where this goes. And Auntie Nana, don't get me wrong. I'm very grounded at the same time. Like it can it can get ratchet real quick. You get me? So, you know, so. but, that's, but that's your human quality. And that's where people can re- relate to you, that you're still... Because I think when people are on a higher plane or on a higher movement, and especially when you're even just talking about being vegan, you know, I've struggled, I've tried, I haven't lasted. But it's like, we need people like you in amongst us who can be relatable. So then it makes it seem not so unattainable. Yeah. And yeah. Like, mm-hmm. there is, there's an end goal that we see. And especially you being a black man on this path and this wavelength, this is significant because it goes back to everything we've spoken about today in regards to black men having our back and the fact that you're consciously making sure that you pay homage to the woman that inspired a tune that has inspired many that still plays today. I mean, that was a tune that hooked me. Like, I was like, oh my God, this guy is amazing. And amongst mm. being, you know, the other side of it, loving so solid and stuff like that. So it's important, your character yeah. and how you make everybody feel comfortable is cool. It's necessary. Yeah, I'm glad you reached out to me as well back in those days and just let me know, like, yeah, Swiss, you know what? Bam, yeah. bam, this is my tune. I love it. This is, this is what I sing when I'm in the U Channel office. Like, a lot of people, like, let me know in the office that, you know what, that's a curious tune. That made me feel. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, you know. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, let's. Not, I'm going to be embarrassing myself. Like, oh my god, it's amazing. So yeah, I had a little crush there back then. That them days, it's like, why is it called this But yeah, man. Um, <laughs> where are we at now? So, guys, any more questions for Swiss? We are going to go into our next section. I don't know if you want to stay, stick around with us. We get into. No, our I little... gotta go. I gotta okay, go. Cool. I, think, wow. I think uncle's. Right. I think uncle's done now. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay, can I can I ask you then before you go? Can you tell me yeah. what's made you sad, mad, and glad this week? What's made me glad is the initiative with Black Pound Day. The fact that Harringay Council have taken it on as a date in their diary and gone public with that. Um, what's made me sad? Yeah, I get disappointed with uh, I get disappointed with the world sometimes and humans. I just feel like people need to stop giving into the programs that they're given yeah. that they that are placed in their minds, but. First of all, you got to be aware of that. So I can't get really mad about it. That's, that's something there. Um, what's got me mad? Off the top of my head, my daughter got me upset a little bit. <laughs> what did she do? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> She's seven, yeah. Oh. But she can be intellectually... Um, what was the word? What was the phrase I used today? She can be, she can be very um, intellectual with her grumpiness and how ah. she tries to be manipulative. I yeah. was going to say intellectually manipulative because I, I have a six and a half year old little girl. I get it. Yeah, yeah. That's just something I could just quickly <laughs> think of. That's fair. Just for lack, cool. of, lack, of a, lack of a better reason for being mad. But yeah, she, cool. she's my girl. She's my angel, my princess. I love her, man. Um, Swiss, uh, Uncle Swiss, on behalf Uncle of all the we appreciate it. a pleasure. You. Um, guys, I mean, yeah, round of applause for Uncle Swiss. Thank you. Yeah, and thank Uncle Cameraman. Uncle Cameraman, thank yes. you for your phone. <laughs> what's his name? name? Oh, no, sorry, no, I'm being What's Uncle Cameraman's name? Yeah, what's his name? Uh, his name's Wike. Wike. 
Okay, Uncle Wee thank you so much for being in the background, nice and quiet. I'm sure you feel the same way as Swiss. Um, Swiss, we appreciate you. So Black Pound Day. Black Pound Day, 27th of June, and buy black, be black, and then follow, we can just go to your Instagram page, which is... Yeah, go to the Instagram page, that's BPD Official, and the um, website again, the directory, is all the W's, blackpoundday.uk. You don't have to wait for me to tell you to buy a black. Buy and spend black as much as you can, yeah? yeah? So for people that are trying to get at the, oh, it's not just a day, we should be doing it. I'm, you listen, you do what you do. As a black consumer, buy a black every day if you can. I'm just trying to create the platform that makes it accessible for you to reach these companies. And that's it. Bless up, brother. Thank Bless you. Up. Take care, Kua. Bye. Bye, Bye ladies. Bye. 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 Uh, how do I come out of this now? <laughs> come on, uncle. Can you guys just say hi to my mum? Because she just put a comment under the post. Oh, say hi, mum. Hi, mummy. All the way in Nigeria. Hi. Oh. Can see? we come and say? Um, yeah, of course. Kilo Shay, is that right? Kilo Day. What are you trying to say? Hello. <laughs> hello Day. I'm not doing none of that. Say hello. Just say hello. Okay. Okay. Oh, we say, I'll that. say in Canadian. Hello, good night. It's <laughs> <laughs> to say, I'll say in Ghanaian. Tree. It's to say. <laughs> but uh, mummy, by the way, mummy Shade. What? 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 What's happening? I'm just, I'm just saying. If I swear, don't judge me, okay? Oh, okay. I'm swearing. I'm swearing. Yeah, no judgment. No judgment. Sorry, I'm too <laughs> um, So okay, let's go jump. Let's jump straight into Auntie's no best. Hey, I'm Auntie Nana. You're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. Now it's time for aunties to fix your life with Aunties Know Best. I am going to put the timer on. I am, guys. You better respect the timer. It's just like another rule. I feel so oppressed. What next? What next, Sakura? So I've got a dilemma, but it isn't a written one. It's something that someone rang up and told me. So okay. I'm putting it, I'm putting it out mm-hmm. there. Okay. So basically, <laughs> this young girl, who I will keep her name anonymous, she's been fortunate enough to have bought into a property, a lovely house. Um, her parents helped her get this house. And it's her first house. She's been doing, she's like an amazing young woman, gone to university, studied, got her degree, has got a really good job. And her parents helped her buy this property. So she's having issues with her mother at the moment because... Her mum wants to do the property in a certain way and she wants to do it in, in a certain way because it's her house, she lives there. So it's causing friction and tension between them. How should she go about creating boundaries between her and her mum without obviously sounding like she's ungrateful? What's the relationship between her and her parents or her mother? They've had her? a great relationship. It's just, you know, like moving houses is one of the most traumatic things that you can do. It's hard work and they've bought somewhere and they've had to completely renovate it and it's a beautiful house, but there are still things that need to be done and she wants to put her stamp on it because it's her home. I just think if, if they've put money in, <laughs> it's very difficult, you know. If you want true independence, pay for it yourself. That's ultimately it. And it's not easy to swallow, but honestly... If that's what you want, because unless you make it absolutely clear, which is very difficult with many mothers, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. it's very difficult to kind of like say, oh, you're giving me a gift and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. Do you know what I mean? If you're going to do that, you need to put those terms in the beginning. 
before you take the money from anyone to be honest you need to say okay if you're going to give this to me i'm going to do it my way and that's super super clear so everyone's on the same page otherwise don't take the money yeah i agree i think this is one of those ones where you just got to take the l on it and on the next go around when you are redecorating in like five years time by then your mum probably won't even be interested in this place anymore because mm. it's not new and then you can make it yours. But I think these are the things. It's like, once you head into it, then you learn through it. Like, this is what happens. When you're getting married, if you take money from anybody, know that this is no longer your wedding and it's our wedding. Mm. When you have a child, it becomes our child with your wider community. And unless you just embrace those moments, because it actually doesn't last for long, and don't fight against it, you have a better time. When you fight against it, it seems to stretch out even longer and becomes way more traumatic than it needs to be. Just remember, it's still probably going to be a lovely house anyway. Just not exactly how you wanted it, but you also didn't buy it by yourself. So it's just the way of the world. There has to be some type of accommodation unless you're doing it purely independent. And it's like... You just got to take the L on it and be like, okay, this is life. Like, I'm going to have to learn this lesson at this moment. See, I don't necessarily agree with that fully. Let's think of it this way. As parents or aunties or people who are trying to do the best out of our lives and want to leave a legacy and leave something to our youngers, if I give my daughter something, if I help her buy a property, does that automatically mean that I've got a stay in how she does that? Then don't give it to me. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, the whole thing is we're supposed to be getting ourselves into a position where we can provide for the next generation. Every other fucking community does it. We were just talking about Black Pound Day and why we need to do it, X, Y, Z. That doesn't then give us the right to say to that person, you're going to do it if you do it how I want to do it. It's her house. She got help. Yes, she pays the mortgage. She put in money as well. It's her house. Now, I'm not saying that she needs to be disrespectful in her tone or how she manages it, but it's her house. Ultimately, it's her house. If she doesn't pay the mortgage, they're coming for her. They're not coming for her parents. They're coming for her. You should be able to give to our youngers and say, hey, the next generation, here you are. Yeah, but that's let not me, reality. Let me it's not but, reality. But it's not our reality, and it should be our reality. It's not, it's but why can't, why can't it be our reality? Because people don't we, work like that. Why can't it be our reality when we give to our as I said, our youngers, our children, our nephews, our nieces, and help them progress. Why can't that be our reality? And if that is our new reality, why does it have to come with a caveat of only if you do it how I want you to do it? I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't. I'm with you, Farah. That's exactly what I was going to say. There could be guidelines and a parental advice and stuff like that because there's experiences that you've been through. And so if you see them going left, you might be like, okay, go do it a little bit this way. Especially if you trusted your child, like you're going to go in with them or support them into doing something as big as this. That means they must be trustworthy enough to be able to handle the situation and keep it moving and carry on with the investment that you've put in them. Because I was going to anecdotally say about my mum one time when um, I had a, a credit card. <laughs> and then she was like, OK, she, um, she called me up and she was like, so have you paid off your debt? And I'm like, no, mum, because you know I'm not working. And I kind of was like, why are you asking me? Because you know there's no way of me paying it off yet. I've literally just said the other day I don't have enough money. She got in a hissy fit because she was basically wanted to say, I want to give you the money to clear your card. So she did. And then, like, follow-up conversation. Oh, I had plans for us to go on holiday. But now I've given you money we can't. I <laughs> so it's that kind of, I mean, this is like, you know, we laugh at mum because she's like that. 
but it's that kind of it's a, it's a bit of parental ego to be honest it's like you've got to if you're going to do this then do it without having this the, the feeling like you've got the right to impose your thoughts on everything because it's supposed to be a, a step up right it's supposed to be an investment for your child to go forward and, and become independent don't do it and then come with rules and imposing your thoughts advice yes if they're making mistakes okay child come back let's talk about it let's do it like that but not like i have the right now to step in and what redesign the house because of my way because i put money in it and i'm not is she living there is she going to be is that's i don't think that's right i don't think it's a good thing i'm not saying it's a good or bad thing i'm just like almost like holding up a mirror right at the end of the day you know your parent in it you you're gonna know your parent you know when your children grow up they're gonna know who they're dealing with and see whether you are or they are the type of person that can give something over and have no strings attached. <laughs> the majority of people don't operate in that way, whether they're conscious or unconscious about it kind of thing. They don't operate in that way. And the only way that you are free from any of that is to pay for it your goddamn mm. self and be patient. Because I think that sometimes it's like, it's not necessarily about always just having a leg up. It's just about trying to hit milestones by certain times, that kind of thing. And also the parent also thinking, okay, because my daughter or my son hasn't got this yet, I must help them to do it rather than them going actually through the struggle or not necessarily struggle, but going through the process of actually getting it on their own. That money could be held for something or when you die. Do you know what I mean? You don't necessarily have to give it to them straight away like i just think like if they're fully committed they'll find a way to make it happen i don't know why but i find it interesting let me say interesting i just think like there needs to be a lot more respect for parents <laughs> to be honest in general i really do and their contributions and if they're handing over that money that is a sacrifice that they're making for you so recognize that when you're coming with that attitude in it firstly she's not coming off with attitude what i said is this tension secondly you've got to understand that if you leave money until you die the government clap a large amount of that shit I mean, you can, they you clap can, they you clap you they clap that. a large amount of that shit thirdly why not be around to see the benefits of your gift to your child why not be around to see what they can do with that there's nothing wrong with that and fourthly <laughs> Yes, in an ideal world, people would work to get their own money and to be able to buy somewhere. How many of us in this group own their shit? And the reason why I'm saying this is because we have not been fortunate enough where our parents have been in a, in a position that they can help us to get to a certain place. That's not our lifestyle. That's not what's happened, yeah? So if we're trying to change that shit and progress as a community and a um, generation and keep it going, why not invest in the next generation why not do it i'm not expecting to get nothing back i'm not saying that it's if when my daughter grows up and i help her, i'm not gonna be like mm, those, why are you getting those floors i might be like that but it's still her house and it's still her decision it's still her house it's a gift i've given you a gift you've got to a certain age i want to help you get on the ladder i've given you a gift that does not mean that i get the right to tell you what to do in your own fucking yard it doesn't and it does not mean that i don't respect my parent either it doesn't it's a gift but without knowing the ins and out where what what has been said and what needed to be changed and what the parent wanted, maybe the parent is actually coming from a position of help and it's still a gift. My advice is still a gift. I can see that what you want to do may be stylish now to your eyes, but next year or two years time, this may weather badly 
and so I would say go with this like it may literally just be that like the the advice isn't being adhered to because you know what you want at this moment but because your parent has more hindsight they may actually be like this is the, this is a bad decision you want to take out this wall so that this is more spacious give it a few years you may want to have this separate when you have children like you know there may actually yeah. just be way more foresight in design that is like what you want to do at this moment i'm telling you don't do it because this is a better path to go down and i can only say this how i would parent but gonna disagree and sometimes i'm gonna think my way is right mm -hmm. at this moment in time and i would hope that my children would be able to have real honest dialogue with me like yeah mum i take it but i want to do this and I would be able to accept it. But sometimes you just know what you know. And as a parent, you may be like, you are going to make a mistake. And I don't want you to make this mistake. It's a costly mistake. So do it this way. And you may want to put your foot down in that way. And it's just, it's just being able to dialogue. But I do think when you take money from anybody, anybody, parent, not husband, whatever, know that that energy exchange comes at a price mm. and that price may be that all of what i want isn't going to come into fruition because they have wants to and i've taken some energy from them so they're going to want something back and it's just just being realistic and it doesn't have to be hard though more than anything i just think there doesn't have to be attention it's just like just give a little bit up she's living in the property now so she has like negotiated for want of a better word with her parent she's done all of that and it's still continuing down to things like don't get that lamp, get this lamp. Come on now. I think it's parenting 101. And it's, it, there's also the element of parent-child dynamic because all of us mm. can definitely say parents have given us advice and we haven't taken it. We've either learned the right way or the hard way. And there's an element, yes, you must respect your parents. But then I think then if we're talking about parents having this life experience and knowledge, then it's like you, the adult in the room is the one that should come with more a more 360 approach or more learned approach to how they then impart their advice because if it's literally advice like okay you know what taking out this wall that's structural damage right yeah. and then the house could fall down in the most extreme way so there's stuff like that that as a as a child and if your relationship is cool then you know that your parents aren't coming from a place of like just do it because we said so because some parents are like that some parents just literally like to impart instruction because they're the parent and there's no leeway it's just like this is my word whatever you say is wrong just because I'm a parent. And actually the child is more learned because they have a different perspective on life and well, how the world stands now. Whereas the parents are living in the world, how the world stands when they were young. Do you know what I mean? So there's, mm. I think it's yes, definitely agree that you have to know the parent that you're dealing with. You can't, I know, coming, getting money from my mum, I know that, like, okay, there's going to have to be a real conversation. Might have to be some sign, an agreement. Like, yeah. you can't say nothing once I take this money. Or, yeah, yeah, I, or yeah. she has to be like, if I give you this money, give me at least once a month, I can cuss you and tell you what to do. <laughs> and then we go back to normal. You've yeah. got to have an understanding of who you're taking the money from. But I do think, I think in general, we shouldn't have an expectation when we do something. And that's just changing all the way that our ego reacts to things. Because yes, that's the way of humans, that we have a little bit of like, oh, I'll give you the money now. So now what are you going to do with it? There's a difference between lying about the money that you're asked for. You know, I've asked for money to pay off this bill and then you buying shoes. That's different. Yeah. But it's, this is a different thing here. And you trusted the child to give the money, coming to say which lamp she should buy. 
And even if it's style-wise, if she's got a different style, then let her have a different style. Yeah. If she makes the mistake of buying a blue lamp and a whole room and paints a whole house bright pink, and next week it's like, oh my God, why did I do that? You get the pop chance to be the parent that says, mm-hmm, didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you? And as long as that child is not making reckless upon reckless upon reckless decisions, then it's like, okay, this is life too. We've got to have room for life lessons, right? Yeah. That's, what, that's what growing up is about. Respect your parents. Understand the parent that you're getting the money from. But also parents, you're supposed to come with this learned knowledge. Then you should do better than saying, well, because I said so, you have to listen to me. It doesn't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's a fair challenge to say that blanket. This, resolved, this is resolved by conversation. Mm. A real talk conversation, I think. Dear aunties, <laughs> love the show. I've been in an interracial relationship for the last seven years. I'm black and proud, but I'm sick of my friends saying I can't be pro-black because of my relationship choices. In light of the current climate, I naturally want to support my people, but I'm often met with distance. How can I make them see that I'm 100% down despite dating outside my race? Oh, man. Oh, mate. You can be (laughs) proud to be black. You can want the best for your people. You can. And the only way you prove that is in your actions and what you do. You're going to support Black Pound Day. You're going to, um, you know, <laughs> wear traditional, al- traditional clothes. I don't know. Very cheeky But my point is, you can action being pro-black by being pro-black. And everyone, it wouldn't be without it being like a falsehood. It won't be like you're wearing a an outfit and then you take it off and then you're super I don't know white on other days everyone can see if you're true to who you are and you're proud of being black in your actions in how you wear your hair how you dress how you talk how you do anything that there's all these ways that you can show that if your friends are doubting you and they know you then maybe that's because they see something in your behaviors that you display that counters what you're fighting so hard to prove because you shouldn't have to talk they should know you and that's it there's another conversation about being an activist in the public eye and talking about pro-black and all this type of stuff and your partner is not black because then it's a bit of a contradiction in the message that you're putting out there. But at the very heart of it, if you're pro-black, then be pro-black. And if you're true to being pro-black or whatever and about your people, your friends shouldn't be doubting it. Why is there this mix up with the term pro-black? I don't understand why it's confusing. If you're pro-black, you are pro-black family that's what the pro-black movement is it's not about your melanin content it's actually about a lifestyle it's a political choice pro-black so if you don't have a black partner then you're not pro-black that doesn't mean that you are not secure in your blackness it's two different things it's like i keep on bringing it back to the pro-life thing it's the same type of movement if you're pro-life you are not going to have an abortion and you're not going to stand for it either because you have made a conscious decision to be pro-life in all choices and that would come with its parameters of being pro-life and the same with being pro-black but you can still as a personal choice be like I would not have a an abortion but I'm not a pro-lifer either because I don't go with all the parameters that have been set by that movements I'm not going to call myself a pro-lifer so not everybody who is 
secure in their melanated status and calls themselves a black person and stands with black people is pro-black, is very particular type of lifestyle. You, you can't be pro-black and have a white partner. It's, it, it, it doesn't go together, it doesn't marry. That's not what it is, that's not what the movement is about. So I don't get why there is this mix up and that's probably what her friends are struggling to articulate like you can be really secure in your blackness and you can be down for all the forces you can have empathy you can absolutely want us to thrive but you're not pro-black there's nothing wrong with your status with your white partner as well though it's like you you've chosen that life as well you've chosen to have that family setting that's all good and all respect to that choice but you you can't straddle both it's a different movement can you be pro-black and have a white parent Yes, I do think you can because you don't choose your parents and you can choose your identity in that sense to be black because that's the parameters that have been given to us in giving us this title of black. So if I choose to take on that label as, as black and I'm running with that label as black and I want to have a black family, mm -hmm. then you can be pro-black in that status and still have a white because to society you are seen as a black person. I agree with what you're saying I'm also confusing pro-black and its meaning and I think that's what happens in society when people say pro-black they forget the actual definition of what it really stands for and pro-black has now become to mean that like you you care about black people and black rights so that's why people that's why I said that yeah people have back and forth arguments because actually when, yeah when Nana's correct in saying that pro-black, the, the origins of this whole phrase and this whole saying, this whole being, is about being pro-black. However, in, over time, as I'm repeating myself, it's been kind of diluted, not, I won't even say diluted, but it's been remixed, interpreted or remixed mm -hmm. to be, you just care about black people. And that's why people struggle that I don't hate being black. And especially for those who genuinely don't hate themselves or don't have self-hate, don't have all these issues towards black people, they just happen to I fell in love and I just didn't see colour and it was what it was and that person was right for me and they happened not to be black. Then it make, it's really hard to hear that you're not pro-black because that means it's very hard to sit there and say, I'm a black person, I've got a white partner, but I, the only black and white thing of it is that I don't like black people then. I'm not for the advancement of black people because you're telling me I'm not pro-black and that's why pro-black. Yeah, but if because... you really think about it, it makes sense that pro-black, and that's why I was saying, because I went to activists and people in the public eye, that if you're going to be preaching to people and black people that you're all about black empowerment, black family, black movement, but when you go home to a white partner and your legacy potentially goes out of the community, potentially, because of your children also date white, and it just starts to, it, then it doesn't, it counters what you're saying. So maybe it's like, I don't know what the other phrase is, then but maybe you can't say you're pro-black. I think she might need new friends. Okay, she needs new friends, so she just got like, bye guys. No, because the thing is, yeah, like, they shouldn't be questioning her. Like, why does she feel like she needs to prove herself so much? Because I do believe that someone who has dated black people all of their lives, and they've been pro-black all of their lives, and they've done all these things, and they've come from pro-black families, and that's been their family unit. We all know you can meet somebody and your mind can change. So... I understand why people will find that difficult to then be told you're no longer pro-black. I get it because all of their values and all of that are the same. It's a very difficult situation. I understand why people take offense at hearing that you don't get to call yourself pro-black anymore. So in terms of this actual dilemma and her friends, maybe they're not really her friends then. Maybe they're chatting shit behind her back if she's feeling the type of way. You know, maybe she needs to jog them on.
um, some people would argue that if you are pro-black, really pro-black, that you wouldn't even fall in love with anyone outside. Sometimes your race. you can't. You can't. But, but I'm just. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that then you wouldn't. Your eyes wouldn't even be out there. Your eyes are solely in the black space. There's a lot of black women out there who are not with someone because of this situation. Yeah. Because true, true. They're, they're not willing to compromise their blackness or their, their thoughts or their beliefs about the importance of the black family. And so they're sitting there single because, as we all know. I, I think, although I have a black family, I wouldn't call myself pro-black. And I think that's why I'm always a bit like, why do people want to champion this if you're not? And I understand for people who are really in the movement, why you've taken it on. But I do think in the scope of being a human being and being able to function with however you want to function, limiting yourself in these boxes doesn't totally make sense to me. I understand why some people do do that, though, because that may be the life experience that they want to have. But I don't get the offence when you've decided to have a wider society experience with your partner and, and live a different way that when somebody's like, oh no, you're not pro-black, why you would find that offensive? I find it really strange, the, the thing of, no, but I am pro-black. Like, why do you want that? Why do you want to add labels to yourself? But then that comes to, that comes with guilt, right? Because there's either an insecurity that you've, oh dear. Are we going to adhere to the rules? I mean, just because you're talking. <laughs> you are actually being snaked. We've talked about the alarm so many times. Are you going to like, I just came up with it today. Yeah, but you All of you listen. Warning. It's I in the group. She, it's yes, you didn't, you didn't let yeah, us I'm, listen to the sound. I'm sorry. You, you, you didn't. Got, and you also, you're not accounting for the fact that I'm dyslexic and that was too much text. I feel like I'm being discriminated against. Okay, so we can move on then. Thank I you. am not going to finish my point. Someone um, inboxed and said, Dear aunties, I am feeling super, super embarrassed. I was on a Zoom call with my colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a Zoom call with my colleagues. The meeting ran over and unfortunately I was called away. I minimised my screen but forgot that I hadn't signed completely out. So then, as you do in the evening, I started to get undressed and I forgot that I was in full view of my colleagues. Basically, long story short, my colleagues got extra sight of my body that they'd never seen before. And I had muted myself and then as I was coming down to shut my laptop, I realized that I was still on the call. And I saw that people had still stayed on the call and they were just chatting now informally. There was an awkward silence. I didn't know what to do, so I just left the meeting. But I'm now really, 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 really embarrassed. I don't know what they saw. I don't know what's gonna happen. Thankfully, we're not back in the office just yet. No one said anything. I don't know if I should address it. Just say, guys, ha ha ha. Or so I just avoided it and just act like nothing ever happened. Please help. I'm super embarrassed. Is it a man or a woman, does it say? I'd be like, yeah, man, you lot no, saw that the gym's it. working for me, innit? That's what I'd say. Maybe contact the host of the call and just have like either discreet uh, conversation and just say, I'm so sorry, I realised that I left the window open. I'm hoping nothing was seen on screen, but do you let me know if, if there was? And then you're putting it into their court to say something about it. Do you know what I mean? And you're addressing it in a a professional way. I like that. It's very, very true because those meetings are recorded. That's the thing as well. They are recorded, aren't they? 
So they got to be careful about what they keep. And if you put yeah. it on them, then it makes them have to follow protocol mm. because then there's yes. like an element of, yes, well done, Auntie. Yeah. That, that was You're really, welcome. really good. But I'm thinking if I was the colleague, yeah, and my colleague, I can see they've walked through, they didn't know that they were still on and now they're in a state of undress. I feel like I would get in contact with them and say... Yeah. But it depends on the relationship they have with their colleagues. And it might be, they didn't say the parameters of like what type of meeting or like what type of colleagues. Could it all have been a freaking international call? (laughs) (laughs) And it really depends on the state of undress. Like if they just saw bra and knickers, I probably wouldn't think about it for too long. But But it's the cringe of not knowing what they saw. Or I didn't have on knickers, like that type of thing. I think you're right. It's just the host. It's just one person and... When you go back to work, you just got to keep your head down for a bit, innit? Like, it's just, hi, and just weather that embarrassment until somebody else does something that people love. Also, the good thing is, I suppose, within the current climate, people can't chat shit either. Because if they were naked and they've done what Auntie Shade said and they've gone to HR or they've gone to the host and made it, you know, a thing, if anyone does come back and say anything, it's inappropriate behaviour, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There you go. Well done, aunties. Hey, I'm Auntie Farah and you're listening to Your Aunties Could Never. And now we're about to take you guys back with Black in the Day. And it's my Black in the Day. When I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. Someday, I said I wish I was a kid again. (laughs) And everybody say! I remember way back when. (laughs) I've actually never known what happens after that. I do not know the tune. Uh, What was your favourite childhood meal? <gasps> Wait, oh. is it one we made ourselves or one that yeah. was made for us? Yes, that's um, we could do both. Let's do both because we're not going to revisit that again. Okay. Oh, then you excited. I'll go first. No, I, like, I had two <laughs> things coming right. to my head. Yeah. So, my favorite childhood meal that I could make myself was bread and jam. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love bread. Like, I have such a great love hate relationship with bread. Like when I was younger, it was just all love. Any type of bread, just whack some jam on that and just good to go. That was my favourite childhood meal. And it's funny because that's my daughter's now too. That's what she does. And it's like, go make yourself something. She'll go make herself bread and jam. Um, I need to think about what my favourite meal was that was made for me. I loved KFC because we used to get it on a Friday at my grand's house. Because my grand would cook every day. I used to go to my grand's house after school every day. And it would be like hard food and all that. Like, oh, she used to make this... um, this lamb and me and my cousins used to call it clad sauce because if you didn't eat it quick enough the gravy would stiffen (laughs) and like all the dumplings and stuff would set in the gravy and you had no drink or nothing before so on Fridays now when you got KFC it was like yes KFC so I suppose those are my two things because you don't appreciate good food until you get older yeah Yeah. okay so my favorite food that was made for me although we started cooking for young so we probably made it ourselves was uh, bread and stew. Wow. The food of kings. Yeah, it is. Simple. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? With oxtail. It's oh just God. really, really great. And um, the favourite food that I made, this was my speciality, was a reconstructed fish pie. But I used to make it out of fish fingers and mashed potato. <laughs> and I would skin the fish fingers. <laughs> I used to take out the fish, season it, put some sweet corn in there, and then use the skin as layers. Oh my god! You went in on the top, and then 
brown it on the top. Oh, oh my gosh. Perfect. You, you thought about that one. You seasoned up the fish and everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mate, it's yeah. kind of like a fish lasagna, actually. That. <laughs> that sounds serious. Have you ever made it today in recent modern times? No. <laughs> in modern times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I should. Make it and see if you I still can. like it. I could, yeah. Okay, oh. the thing that I would make for myself was cheese on toast. Uh, it's just the best thing that I was taught. Like, you have to butter the bread and then toast that side. And then you turn it over and then you put the cheese and grill it that way. And I, I remember, I thought everybody did it like this. That's how I used to do it. It was my favorite thing. And I went to one of my friend's houses and they just put it in the toaster. And I had it and I was like, no, no, there's something missing. Like it, there, there's not enough cheese. I didn't know that it was the process because the mm. underside then becomes really soggy. And yeah, like one of the worst toasted cheeses that I've had. But that was my favorite thing. Always, it still is to this day to have uh, cheese on toast made for me i wasn't a good eater i was very very skinny mm. so there was nothing it would probably be mcdonald's that could make me smile but generally it must have been so unpleasant for my mum because you could put anything in front of me and i would play with that food and make it into a mash and put it into <laughs> a pie and pile it to the corner i was the worst person to feed so there was nothing that i was like oh that was nice um Fufu sometimes, but it's a particular soup. Had to mm. be peanut soup. The consistency of fufu had to be very soft. I don't like tough fufu, so it, I'm not the best person to cook for. If anything, just give me plantain, and it doesn't matter. But the plantain <laughs> has to be very soft, almost going off. It's when it looks soft, black. I don't like it. Yeah, it's got to be black. A bit of mould at the end, and then I really like it. Going too far. Um, yeah, plantain, <laughs> definitely. A bowl of plantain or kelloele with seasoning, not too hot, is always my favourite thing made by anybody. I will love you forever. That's probably about it. Almost had me when you said not too hot. <laughs> you lost me. You're insane. You're a massive. <laughs> so um, for me, because I was kind of at home alone a lot when mummy was working, so I used to always experiment, but my favourite most escapism favorite time was stacks of time. I don't, I was a skinny bean like you and I hated food as well, like you know. So I was Margaret as Margaret can be and I didn't eat, didn't like food, but I would sit down, read books and have stacks of honey and toast. And I just loved honey on toast. And when that was when white bread wasn't the sin. Um, <laughs> yeah. Stacks of white bread. And the thing is what I used to eat, I should have been humongously huge. So I could just go through stacks of that honey and toast and then there was a time when, you know, you'd cut the chips, make the chips, boil the chips, fry the chips in the deep fat fryer. I love chips to this day. Make chips mm. and make double-decker burgers. Now, I used to get the bird's eye burgers back in the day. Yeah. We used to fry them. And so this, everything was oil yeah, and onions. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I should have been fat. I used to do four burgers, put them in the bread. And sometimes I would do double-deckers. So then I might have... Actually, then I'd do two one way and two the other way, so make a three-layer sandwich, like, and then put ketchup in it and have chips. And the, my plate would be high. I can't <laughs> believe you did that. I used to do the exact same thing with my burgers, but I would do like burger, bread, burger, bread, burger, <laughs> yeah. bread, and then like put cheese in it and ketchup as well, and then split it into four. 
Oh my God, that was like, that was my favourite thing. I'll yeah. take back bread and jam. It was that. <laughs> <laughs> it's between lots of bread, lots, lots of, of bread, and lots of burgers. It, I used to stack them. Too. And, and them days I wasn't even fishing. Mum used to buy burgers. So yeah, I used to batter those. Those are the foods that I used to cook for myself always. And I should have been a size 20, but I was a size like two. Um, and then because, as um, said, I wasn't a good eater. I remember that I would never, ever eat today. Spaghetti hoops, Heinz spaghetti hoops and... SMA, not SMA, what's it? Smash, mash, get smashed. That oh, processed, yes. yeah. that oh processed, my God, I used to love that smash. processed um, mashed potato. That was the only like, thing. Was the only thing. I, always, I have memories of me sitting on my mum's lap and she feeding me that because was I eating anything else? I was not touching <laughs> nothing else. So that was the food that would, I think, would sustain me. Come yeah. on, I just wasn't eating anything else. And maybe like some sort of rice and basic stew. Don't go too deep. Rice <laughs> and stew. And Possibly, yeah. I remember mum feeding me for food, but again, soft and that was it. But because I wasn't eating nothing you'd give me. And yeah, so spaghetti, tin spaghetti, I would never eat that today. I never even gave it to my child and processed mash. And right now I feel like I'm a gourmet chef. So I could do fresh potato mash. I would never eat that yeah. mash either. <laughs> yeah, those are my favourite foods. It's like, if you think about smash, what is that? Oh, what, is, what it? is it? It's dried potato. It's oh, no, re, re- constant. That's like that's like astronaut food. Yeah. Like what the hell? Uh, but I no, I. I used to love smashing. Yeah, but we all did. But who would you eat it now? Like what is that? I'm not eating now. <laughs> no, Sade. Next, you're gonna tell me you're gonna have a pot noodle. Even no, the tin no spaghetti, more. like tin spaghetti. Oh, no. no. Do you know what used to be you. disgusting? Frey Benton's pies. Did you not know. ever have those? Oh, yes. Ray Benton's with like, you'd get steak and kidney pie in a yeah. tin. And oh, you'd, have to, no. you'd have to boil it and then you like take it out of the tin. Oh, that's yeah. disgusting. Of course it's disgusting, but <laughs> back in the day, then, that was the that shit. That's how you had a pie and stuff. That's how you had a pie, mate. It wasn't about you going pie and like chip shop all the time. What you'd get Frey Benton's pies. No, man. Trust me, that was some deep shit. But you remember that cake that you used to have to boil as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Why it was, why it 40 shit. minutes. Yeah, yeah, in the big tin. Like yeah. And then it would come out like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then it used to be like you used to get different versions of it. You'd get like um golden syrup one, I yeah, think it was. I remember yeah. yeah. And then you've got the chocolate one as well. Yeah. I remember the spotted dip one. Disgusting. All yeah, this tin processed food and no, spam. We never bought that. Ugh. We had this no, my grand corn beef, though. Corn beef, spam, and there was another one that wasn't spam. Uh, I'd have to ask my cousin. But, um, t- lunch and meat. Oh, yeah. oh. Jesus oh, wow. Christ. Okay, lunch and meat sandwiches in my packed lunch, but not from the tin. It was like sliced, like, you know, you get like sliced ham and all that type of stuff. Yeah. I did with, when I was a young child and ate pork, I did like a lunch and meat sandwich. Oh, you I did like a. No. No. I like it. I actually don't like, not even for nothing, but I just don't like the taste of it. It tastes. I don't, yeah. The texture <laughs> and the taste for me, I don't like it. That's why I don't like it. When I was younger, I love a sausage, and I think the memories of loving sausage rolls, so I like the taste of a sausage roll, but now in this t- today, the, there's a rawness to pork that I can't get with, so I will have any alternative of a sausage roll. But I used to love sausage rolls, but really, yeah. I can't eat sausage, Black pudding, once you found out what was in it. I never had it in the first place. It's blood. It's blood. What is in it? Yeah. Blood. Blood. Oh, it's blood, oh, okay. Congealed blood. Congealed. It but does my gra- nice though. I don't know why anybody. No. Just my granddad, nice. bless his soul, God rest his soul, used to do the best fry ups ever. I said, oh shit, I should have said that. 
because he used to do the best fry ups ever. And it's back in the day when I used to eat pork and stuff, and he would go all out. He would do mushrooms, black pudding, um, fried tomato, fried egg, all types of, and he'd like, it'd be enough to feed the entire family. Mm. And yeah, sausages, everything. He, yeah, his, his breakfast used to be the one back in the day when I used to eat pork. Hey, I'm Auntie Shade. You're listening to your aunties could never. It's almost time to wrap up. Before we do, aunties, what's made you sad, mad or glad? Sad. Uh, uh, Lana Taylor's killers have still not been arrested. Still <sighs> sad about that. I'm mad about that. Mad. Tim Westwood, 100% mad about him. He just needs to go. And I'm glad because my wish machine came. I'm living a normal life again. <laughs> I am sad that this week I watched a documentary. It was on the City of London Corporation that basically has its own status in London. And that for centuries, people could just have a business and create a trust, which they don't have to register to the government in any way, and they can field their money through this trust. And it's just you and your lawyer know that you own it and your money goes there and nobody else knows. And wow. It is believed that there is trillions of pounds in trust being fielded through the city of London. And this is still to this day. This is done. It's, it's gone on. And then also finding out um, that as soon as the British were losing their colonial powers, how they fielded money through the city of London and then just decided to create to keep their power structure going through financial systems running through the Cayman Islands which is still not independent and again trillions of pounds are stored there and no taxes being paid mm. and this was just another way for them to have the world's money being kept by this British island that we live on. And so they still have, although they don't have the territory power, they have the financial power because so many corporations filled their money through this British haven that they've created. And that just, it really vexed me because people think that voting or, you know, writing or electing governments does anything. But really when you see how they run the finances, you know that your efforts to actually live in a decent society fall on crazy people because they don't deem us in the same way. They don't see our yeah. humanity because they're running to a different, a different tune entirely. Again, because I have to pay tax. And that was mm -hmm. probably why I was even more vexed. Like, I have a tax bill and this is pissing me off. That made me sad and mad. Glad that Tim Westwood is being dragged again. I love to see it. <laughs> I love to see it all land, but yeah, I just, I just love it. I love the dragon. I, I love to see people talking because you're letting it out. You're not sitting in shame. The more people write down their experiences, the more you're actually getting it out of yourself and putting it back onto him. So it's like, let the purge continue and reign and hopefully he'll start to lose his power.
I am glad about Black Pound Day. I think it's a great uh, platform and something that he's organising. I think it's a great way for everyone to get on board. But what I'm really glad about the fact is it's not just this thing of everyone saying buy black, but there is all this information behind it where there's a website created and all that sort of stuff where you can actually go and do your research and find out how to buy black. So I'm glad about that. I am sad that the thousands of people who were um, affected by the Winross scandal, I'm actually mad about this as well, um, have not yet been able to claim their compensation and have still been overlooked and there are still many, many people suffering to this day. Okay, I'm sad that black women still have to fight to be supported about things that they shouldn't have to fight to be supported about and from the people that we support all the damn time. Sick and tired of it and it's making me sad. Um, I'm mad because Tesco's has, for the fourth time, not delivered my damn shopping. Anywho, so there's that. But what's <laughs> made me glad is um, that we spoke to Swiss and we got to speak to someone that's doing a really phenomenal thing. And he's a decent guy. And um, got to shed some light on some brothers who are doing some good stuff and are speaking up for black women. And Black Pound Day, long may it continue. And that's us. Are there any sad, mad clouds in the comments? If you lot didn't give us any, I'm going to cast you all. Oh, yes, we do have some. So, me says, sad about Brianna Taylor, mad about Tim Westwood, glad doing up the house. Oh, yay. Nicola Millington says, glad for the sunshine, mad about the black guy who protected Talisa, same. I was yes, about that. Same. Too. Yeah, all yeah. of us were, um, definitely. Yeah. And sad about Windrush, lack of compensation. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Cool. And that's it. Do hit us up on Instagram and let us know what's made you sad, mad, and glad. If you want to follow the aunties, here's how you can. You can follow me, Auntie AK, on all social media platforms at The British Blacklist. You can follow me, Auntie Nana, on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and Twitter at Love Yaya. You can follow me, Auntie Shade, at Shade Salami on all platforms. And you can follow me, Auntie Farah, on Instagram at FarOutProductions77. And that's our show. You've been listening to Your Aunties Could Never podcast, hosted by The British Blacklist. Please listen to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other listening platforms. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as Your Aunties Could Never. Please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe. See you later. (laughs)